Warning, the Dub Talk podcast contains language and content that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. There will also be spoilers for various anime throughout the course of this episode. Please use caution in case we discuss a series you haven't finished yet. Finally, the opinions expressed are those of the individual participants and may not reflect the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. Enjoy the show. Welcome, little ghosts and goblins, to another episode of Dub Talk, the podcast where the spirits gather and they discuss the latest and greatest in English dubs. I am but a simple medicine vendor named Stephanie, and joining me tonight in what seems to be some odd goings-ons are a young man who's taken the shape of an incubus, another whose truth lies in song, and a third whose reason is cartoonish at best. Lack, Amon, and Noah, I bid you welcome, gentlemen. Hello. Ooh, also, I, I see what you did there. That's pretty yeah, funny. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I, was, I was like, how do I make this work? And I'm like, ooh, this is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> you did your homework. You a spa- a space incubus, show. to be specific, but, you know. <laughs> space, no, no, a space pirate incubus yeah, is what exactly. I saw. I got you, dude. All right. <laughs> Now, you may be wondering why we're all here tonight, and it's simple, really. Halloween has once again emerged from the shadows, and we've prepared tales that will make you fear babies and cats. (laughs) More more than you may already, for some of you. (laughs) For some of you. We're here to discuss the 2007 anime series from Toei Animation and directed by Kenji Nakamura, Mononoke. For the uninitiated, here is what unfolds in this grisly tale. In feudal Japan, evil spirits known as Mononoke plague both households and countryside, leaving a trail of fear in their wake. One mysterious person has the power to slay the Mononoke where they stand. He is known only as the Medicine Peddler, and he vanquishes the spirits using the power of his Blade of Salvation. However, In order to draw his sword, he must first understand the form, truth, and reason of the Mononoke. Armed with a sharp wit and keen intellect, the medicine peddler wanders from place to place, striking down the evil spirits in his wake. This is an odd one. (laughs) Are you sure that you read the the title right there? Because I'm looking at my notes here, and I could have sworn that we were covering the series Mushishi this week. No, that's no, that's a different no. one about a guy wandering around dealing with shit. It, in, in feudal I, I will I will say this to any of the casual anime fans watching: this is the textbook definition of art house anime, basically. Yes. <laughs> so Amon's brand of shit. <laughs> this is why I'm going to be nicer to the dub than the other three. <laughs> yeah, all of our brand of shit. Uh, <laughs> So, Mononoke has a very interesting little history to it, um, both in terms of how the anime was created in the first place and where it came from, and also in terms of what happened with this English dub. Yeah, because I'm holding the DVD copy right here in my hand, the one that 
uh, Flat Tarion put out a couple years ago, and it doesn't mm -hmm. say anything about a dub being on this. It explicitly says Japanese audio only. So, we're gonna start kind of a little bit at the beginning just to give a little bit of history, and then we're gonna go into today. So, how this show came to be. Now, have I, any of you, I, I'm thinking at least maybe two of you do, um, have any of you heard of the series called Ayakashi Samurai Horror Tales? I believe so. Yes. I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. So here's the thing. The the series Ayakashi Samurai Horror Tales is, is three small little stories like packed into a 11-12 episode series. One of these stories um, at the end of the show is called Baki Neko. Believe it or not, this is where the character of the medicine seller comes into play and where he's first introduced. And oddly enough, because Ayakashi aired in the winter of 2006. So a year later, I guess the medicine peddlers, the medicine seller's character was popular enough that it not only warranted a spinoff in what we have with Mononoke, and that came out in summer 2007, but also... Uh, a couple short volumes of a manga series of the same name. Uh, a couple, one, one volume essentially being between 2007 to 2008, and a second one between 2013 and 2014, which I believe was published by Square Enix, if I'm correct. Square Enix, um, originally. So, somehow, the medicine seller became a popular character. And not only that, it's very timely that we're talking about this show now, because there is going to be in, released in Japan, I think either later next this year. year or next year, um, a new film for of a new Mononoke film with the medicine seller as the lead character, um, and it's already been licensed, picked up for licensing by G Kids. So it's very, oh. very interesting in terms of how how weirdly enough how beloved this guy is. What do you want from me? The movie's not yet licensed. Movie's not licensed? I thought G-Kids was taking it. Nobody has licensed the new Mononoke movie yet. Aww. Huh. I pay attention to this licensed shit. I'm here to correct her anyways. Why? Why? Why was I told there was? It seems like G-Kids would license it, though. G I feel like G-Kids would, though. But anyway, a movie at least was announced. If they don't license it, Shout Factory will be right there to pick up the pieces. Either way, it's not going to have these actors. That's the bottom line. <laughs> that is very, very correct. Um, to, to, be, to be fair, it's not going to have the Medicine Seller's original voice either, so... In Japanese, is yeah. Yep, in Japan, the medicine, the character of the medicine seller has a different say in the film. But I digress. But how did this dub come to be? Because this dub, this is the first time this dub has ever been released on home video. So, the wonderful, magical, mystical folks at Discotech did their thing. And somehow, because they rescued the show, first of all. Um, and was going to put on Blu-ray. But somehow, in the process of getting this sorted out, they just did their thing and happened to find the English dub of Mononoke. <laughs> you know, <laughs> as you do. They found, they found it in that, that top room of the hotel. You know, the secret one that no one's supposed to find. Pretty much. Like, it's, a, it's amazing some of the things that they've managed to pull to, like, get things together. It was just amazing to me. <laughs> To, to be fair, based on what I know about how this dub was made, I think it was like, hey, we want to get Mononoke. Oh, sure. We have a dub for it. Do you want that? 
All right, sure, I'll take that. That sounds more like it. Because there's no American uh, version. Of, there was no uh, dub from uh, an American studio. So it's not like this is impeding on some other more professionally put together dub. Yeah, so we'll get to some of the more, like, details of the production side of, of on the like, actual dub production side in a few minutes when we talk about the staffing. Um, but the reason why we get to be here tonight is because someone from the cast of the dub of Mononoke was, like, basically was asked by someone at Discotheque, I think it was Justin Savakis, like, hey, were you in this show? Because he was like, wait, this sounds familiar. And, and, and it's, the story is, he asked him, they said yes, he's like, do you remember who else was in the cast? And he said yes. So, for the most part, we have almost the entire cast of this show. So, save for, I think, at least four characters um, in the show, because I, I double, triple check the credits on the on the Blu-ray set. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna take a shot in the dark and say everybody here has never been mentioned on Dub Talk ever before. And it's likely they will not be mentioned again. Yeah. Well, there's one exception well. to that rule, actually. And I have, and I, and I'm just speculating that th that person might be the reason why we know about the cast. It, of this it, show. If it, if it is who I am thinking of, I did, he does have a Twitter account. And one of the last thing, most recent things he retweeted was this going up on Netflix. So I think he might be mm. right. That is the main story. D Disco talk. Wow. Disco talk. Wow. Disco tech. Re rescued the show, managed to find out there was a dub that was never before released, um, and found out, hey, you sound familiar. Hey, were you in this show? Yes. Do you know the rest of the cast? Yes. Here we go. So now here we are. <laughs> the the, the um, Blu-ray version, I think, came out earlier this summer, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. um, so... Yeah, it's it's a weird and interesting situation, but it's also a fun and interesting situation because we're going to be talking about a Southeast Asian dub probably for the very first time on this show. As far as I know of. For the <laughs> very first time, like a so, dog. Hey. I think because of that, we should probably get into this. Um so, since we kind of talked a bit more about production history, we're going to kind of lean into it a bit more and talk about the ADR staff of the, of the English dub. Uh, as always, I probably should preface this, we are going to go through the casting and the staffing of the show with as much of the information as we do have available to us. Again, we don't have all of the voice actors involved, and in the case of the ADR staff, we actually do not know who wrote the script for this show. Um, that part has not been confirmed. And unfortunately, I haven't had, because I've been so busy, I have not had the opportunity to um, potentially ask Discotech a little bit more of the details um, behind some of this stuff. Um, so we're going to be going based off of as what we know, uh, primarily the credits on the Blu-ray disc. But uh, we're going to start with our ADR staff. We do know who the dub director was. And we also know the dubbing studio behind this, as well as where exactly it was recorded. And when it was recorded. I, I did some poking around online, and from what I saw from a few people, they think this was probably recorded about five or six years ago. Like, around the 10th anniversary, pretty much. I, so I have a question. Are you going to bring up the Japan Foundation, or is that not something you came across in your research? That's, that's not something I came across. Right, so... Uh, Japan Foundation is something that was founded in the 70s. It's a Japanese group. Its shtick is like, you know, 
spreading knowledge of Japanese culture. Like, that's their thing. Um, and, and consequently, they have themselves footed the bill for making, like, dubs and stuff for Japanese TV shows and movies, basically to make it easier to export. Um, their name's on the disc here. Like, it's known they were involved in this. They are probably the ones who paid for this dub. And as far as I can tell, it's it's more recent than the show itself. Like, the show itself was, like, rebroadcast for a while without a dub. Uh, the dub is comparatively... Like, no, no one's quite sure for... I could get a little into the history of the studio we're about to talk about, because I've actually run into them previously independent of this. Um, but, so, like, dates are uh, unclear, but it is it seems like it's more recent than the show is. Huh. Interesting. So, so basically, Amon, what you're saying, Amon, mm -hmm. is that the Japanese Foundation is kind of the equivalent of when uh, old foreign movies would get dubbed by Italian actors into English for international broadcast back in the 70s. A little bit with, with you know, the, the Japan Foundation are like, we want to spread the culture of our country. But yeah, I'll kin to that a little bit. <laughs> I love like, it. We, we, we want to make this easier to market to foreigners, so we're going to foot the bill for dubs in their language, because they're more likely to watch it than watch something with subtitles. That, gotcha. that makes sense. That, not even just in America, just in the entire of the English-speaking world around yes. the world. So, we have, for a, our ADR director or our dub director, as the credits have listed, um, we have... Mr. Victor Lee. His only other he has a few directing credits behind him, um, primarily stuff again Southeast Asia uh, and specifically Animax titles. Uh, so we have other directing credits such as Gundam Build Fighters, uh, Inazuma Eleven, and Gundam Age. Uh, the dubbing studio that was behind this, because I feel like we should probably bring this up a little bit too, uh, is Omni Productions. Now they have done a handful of other shows. Um, again mostly animax related shows uh so they've done dubs for emma a victorian romance uh onigai my melody and transformers super god master force as well as a couple other uh transformers titles uh the where it was recorded was with bts studios in hong kong i couldn't find anything specific with the hong kong studio but they have done projects um they have done recording projects for shows in english in arabic in italian in german so it's a little bit more widespread and i think bti is kind of like a bigger um a bigger um not necessarily chain uh, but like a bigger company that has like outlet studios in different places that's my guess um but anyway how do we feel and again we do not have confirmation of who the writer um of the english stuff is so with all that said uh tell me how do we feel about the directing and all the production work behind the dub here this is a ghostly dub <laughs> oh man no, it's not. No, uh, it's really a shame that we don't know the writer because uh, the thing I had kind of in my notes when listening to this whole thing, because you people at home are probably wondering, how does this super Japanese show exist in an English form with all the translations going on? Honestly, the acting is pretty good. Um, there is a campiness to it for sure. The weakness is going to be in the writing, and I want to know if you guys thought similarly because the way that they translate some of the characters' dialogue is kind of inconsistent about are they taking it seriously do they get more lax and more vernacular in the way that they speak there's a character who's supposed to be like um, a, a sorrowful monk who's kind of lamenting the loss of his sister in one of the acts and mm -hmm. he is mostly his speech is like reserved and serious sounding but then he uses the phrase i chickened out 
And to me, I'm like, mm, that sounds just a little like, maybe you could have taken a pass at the, the translation on that one. Because that doesn't sound in character for the character. Yeah, I think there are some moments where the script work didn't match, like, the historical setting. Again, most most of this show, with I think with the exception of Baki Neko um, at the end, is more set in, like, feudal Japan, like the old Edo period kind of deal. Um, Baki Neko seems to me based on, um, one, the development of trains. Well, you tell me and, they didn't have el- electric trains in uh, feudal and, Japan. And, and two, the outfits that most of the characters wore, I would put that story in particular maybe in the 1910s, 1920s. Except the medicine man. Except for the medicine man. <laughs> <laughs> the medicine man. A lot, a good portion of the writing, um, I definitely felt it was campy at times, and there, and there were moments where, um, it didn't quite fit. However, I'm also going to say that sometimes the direction wasn't that stellar either. Uh, because some of the performances... <laughs> um, some of the performance performances did kind of come off a little bit stilted. Um, or sometimes a little bit too campy. Uh, whenever characters screamed was one of those moments. Um, yeah. Like, it was... It was it was kind of odd. <laughs> that being said, there were some actually good performances, yeah. and considering the medicine seller is the one consistent character throughout the whole course of the show, um, I think the medicine seller was a very did very very well keeping his consistency, um, but also shifting his tone when he needed to. They, Yeah, they um, knew the kind of tone that he needed to go for with the facial expression and the serious, I am the straight yeah. man, but also I kick ass for the Lord kind of persona is absolutely... For the Lord! <laughs> oh, I kick ass for the Lord! That's right, hey, I know, right? Like I know he's yeah. not doing it for God, he's like... You guys know what a Mononoke is, right? Uh, yeah. Sort of. I know they explain it, in the uh, show. Okay, so but... it's a woman who has been uh, given to the wolves and uh, oh, becomes Jesus. one of them to fight against Oh, the that's Iron what she's Forge. called, Princess Mononoke. Okay, you go. I get it. God damn it. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, Noah. <laughs> uh, he'll be here all night, ladies and gentlemen, unfortunately. See, yeah, the, uh... <laughs> see, when you say that there was um, there was campiness, there was inconsistency in some of the acting, I'm going mm-hmm. to say, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but that the actors were were consistent across the board in like talent of capturing the tone. It's just that when any one of them had to go into a tone that was either very distraught is when it tended to be harder to direct them. And that was consistent across any actors who had to go into that realm. I will 100% agree with that, honestly. See, see if I can go next now. Um, yeah. The- it's a little hard for me to kind of judge the overall performances in general. And this isn't me trying to, like, you know, snake my way out of actually critiquing it. But at the same time, this thing does kind of play like a kabuki performance. <laughs> I didn't think you know? of it that way. No, I've never thought of it that way. And, and it's, it's, I can't imagine it's easy for English dub actors of any professionalism mm-hmm. to really be able to circumvent a, like, sincere performance out of that yeah there's this there's this sort of element of this thing is so abstract Mm -hmm. 
Like, aside from, you know, hey, he fights the demon at the end and it's a big shonen battle and kind of <laughs> that sort of thing. I love but, it when he, like, th- throws the cards against him and is, like, beats him with the power of paper. It, yeah, it's so fun. It's so funny in, the, in like the last parts of this sh- of these story arcs where it's just like it turns into a full on shonen anime, and I'm like, oh, this is really funny considering how not traditional anime this has been for so long. Pretty much. But um, it has it has to have those moments, right? Yeah, it's one of those things where I can't really blame the actors too much. No, absolutely not. And I will say it: the dub definitely improves as it goes on. And I could also say that about one of my favorite anime dubs of all time, Berserk. <laughs> Berserk starts off kind of wonky and gets a lot better as the show goes on. Yeah. So, that, that had the benefit of like a core cast who stayed pretty consistent throughout the show. Where that is show. also true. Although apparently a lot of actors were reused <laughs> from what I'm reading, so... You're right, is that, yeah, the, the characters may change, but you're right, a lot of the actors get kind of recycled, and we'll we'll talk mm-hmm. about that. Which, honestly, you mentioned Kabuki Theater, I was thinking more of community theater. Like, you ever gone to, like, a <laughs> local community theater production where Ouch. Uh, some people, like, double and triple cast, and it's like, okay, I can tell that that's the person who played the evil villain in the first act, now they're, like, the goatkeeper yeah. in the second act. And that's I not mean- a- bad thing either <laughs> i mean four kids used to do this all the time and that's not me trying to dig at this dub group it's no just... no yeah it, I, paddle I, I, faster I <laughs> theater actually is a pretty solid comparison and i'm saddened and think of this as the theater person in the room here well i was kind of a theater person pseudo like but it may it does make sense because when you look at the show, kind of like if you look at the show as a whole, it does in a way present itself in that kind of kabuki style. So some of the performances, whether they're a little bit over the top or can be, can kind of make sense and should be justified here. My overall point is you're asking English actors to dub an already really abstract anime. There's going to be some weird performances. Yeah. So That's fair. Yeah. I'm feeling it's kind of similar to what Lack thinks of... Um... Like this, this is a really like stylized show, mm-hmm. um, and consequently, like some of the performances are weird. That doesn't bother me that much because everything's so intentionally not grounded in the first place. Um, that if some of the line readings are a little weird, it's kind of like, now nah, this sort of works for me. Like, <laughs> not any stranger than the visuals they're accompanying in the first place, or like any time early on in the storyline where they have a close-up, you know, like, you know, no one, you know, the medicine seller is supposed to be talking, but you just hear a bunch of gear grinding noises when his mouth moves or something like that. Yeah. Um, I was actually, I was actually, the thing this reminded me of wasn't strictly kabuki theater. It actually was like, like old radio dramas, like back when like radio was like big, like the 40s oh, or something. as well, yeah. Um, which, which, which had that same thing where there's a certain stylization to it because you're not, you know, you're not seeing anything. They have to, they have to overact in a certain kind of way to like communicate right. because there's no, there's no visual accompaniment. It's just the voice. I can confirm that there were a couple of times I was watching this in the last couple of days in preparation for this podcast, and I was watching, listening to it while working. So I was kind of mm-hmm. watching the visuals out of the corner of my eye, but I didn't need to see everything to catch what's going on because, like good radio acting, the dialogue and the audio engineering clued me into what was going on without needing to have it confirmed by looking at the screen. I forget who brought it up, but I'll, I, I did I did notice this dub uh, this dub had to deal with the the thing that localizers the world over dread. Um, the natural pause in this sentence in Japanese occurs here. This is the worst possible place it could occur in English. <laughs> there's, there's no way to cut the sentence in a way that makes any amount of sense if the pause yeah. is here. 
There's there's a lot of those. There's, uh, there's just a like few. I'll, I'll be I'll be. It was interesting that a lot a lot more of the show had people talking off screen than I I, I would have guessed, which I'm sure helped a little yeah. bit, but still. <laughs> um, and so this is this is I I I generally thought this was pretty well done, um, which is funny because I I I've run into Omni Studios two other times, um, not with stuff okay. Victor Lee's done, but just in as a studio. One of them. It's actually because of those Transformers series you talked about. Uh, if you go on the Transformers wiki, the good one, just like the best fan wiki on the internet, they have one on there because they dub some of those Transformers shows. They are notoriously awful. Like, largely <laughs> considered... Just, to the, one of those got Ouch. a re-release by Shout Factory, and people were mildly disappointed that it did not include that dub in part because it takes some liberties and is maybe not 100% appropriate for children in America. Uh, and people are like, <laughs> man, I want to own that nonsense on DVD. Shoot. Oh, come on, cowards. Um, but the other one I know them from is that for a very long time, these guys were the go-to place for Toho to get English dubs for Godzilla movies when they wanted to sell them internationally. Um, really? We, we apparently only know this because some guy who worked on them was, like, talking on a Usenet board back in the day because they are not credited on any of these movies. Like, if you watch a Godzilla movie, you know, I'm talking, like, the 80s and 90s ones that has a dub, you will never find any information oh. on the movie itself about who dubbed Interesting. it. Interesting. They, yeah. they, they're, they're basically, like, the movie equivalent of, like, um... Like in the 80s, in the, in the Japanese video game industry, you had these things called ghost studios where, like, you know, somebody would farm out the work to some studio who wouldn't intentionally would not get credit on the final game release to, like, do the actual work. And as far as I can tell, Omni kind of does that for some of the Japanese uh, studios. Huh. Um, which I, I assume yeah. is part of the reason why we had to get our cast list from, like, a dude who worked <laughs> on it because they probably are not keeping that paperwork around. Yeah, it was just not uh, common practice in, in the 80s and the 90s to, like, really credit the actors of any sort. You, you watch... Anything that was like a localized version of, and they got like an American broadcast, the Japanese side of things, or maybe even the dub actors aren't even barely credited. It's usually like the producer or the songwriters for the English side, or like who was the or like or like the director get it if the director has, is credited, he's given like a fake American first name to hide out right. Japanese. Because they did that. Because dubbing was like work for hire back yeah. then, basically. Yeah. yeah. They did, what did they do? They did that on Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. They didn't credit the actual stop-motion director correctly. They, they gave him, like, an Americanized Don't. name you know because... J Japanese. You watch, no a, you, watch a, you, watch, you watch Warriors of the Wind. It's directed by Harry Miyazaki, something like that. I want to watch Warriors of the Wind one day just to see. I never had any desire to watch that. I, I just want to see because I love weird stuff like that. Like this is this is not like the best dub I ever heard, but I actually think like this no. is a pretty good dub for what this show is. Like it I could have been a, way worse. Like this than is it this was. is a, this is a hard show to put into English into first place, and I especially given yeah. like given the reputation a lot of these South Asian dubs have, which is from what I can tell, it kind of ranges from like serviceable to bad. Um, I actually think they they they, they yeah. perform pretty well. Like I actually, like kudos. Not not to get into anything, but people who already hate dubs, this certainly isn't going to turn them. But honestly, it's fine. It's fine for no, what no, it no. is. It's yeah. it, it, for me because like from like because I've never really watched any Southeast Asian dubs before, so and, and I only knew about some of the infamous like terrible ones. So right. when I went into this, my expectations were relatively low, and they, I actually like. The, the dub actually exceeded my expectations. It is a serviceable dub. It is fine. Is it, like, downright amazing? No, because, like, we're more used to higher quality dubs 
nowadays or even if what the production timeline of this dub was um if that is to if that is correct um they would have been of a higher caliber like around that time as well so it, it, it it's really interesting but yeah no yeah this this is not an easy show to dub <laughs> Yeah, it helps a lot that this show is just really weird and abstract. So yeah, this is this is this is a difficult show to dub into English, and the fact that it it even has one at all is just amazing. Which we didn't even know it had one for the longest time. So that's I know I did I I got so the the night when it was announced at one of the discotech like Twitch stream nights. Yeah, discotech day. That that they found this dub i was like what the actual fuck i was like holy shit and andrew's just like babe if any of you guys belong to like uh one of our discord chats and you're on those live chats we're doing when disco day goes up and you hear lilac's like like fuck there's a dub for mononoke jesus <laughs> christ yep yep <laughs> i was freaking out that day i was like that exists <laughs> but um <laughs> that was me when they announced the re cutie honey dub. Yes, I remember, I remember you freaking out. I think yeah. in like the Twitter chat, like you were freaking out about it. It was funny. Uh, so this, um, is, this is a quick question I had. Have any of you seen this in Japanese? I no. Have. Right, right. Does he? I, so it, during the OP, does he just announce the title in Japanese too, or is that an invention I do of the not, dub? So to 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 preface this, I watched this in Japanese, and this is like over a decade ago. Okay, all right. I so you, you don't that. recall? Fair. I don't recall 100%, but I'm pretty sure he does not. All right. I'm wondering... Because I looked at it and I'm like, I don't remember them announcing the name of the show during the opening. That's weird. Well, not even just the name, but he also did like Act 2 or, you know, like, this well, is those, the those, end. Those I, those I could believe were in there, those, because you're, you're talking about like there's a theatrical element to it. That sounds like yeah. the kind of thing that I could see being like. I don't know a lot about traditional Japanese theater, but that feels like something. Okay, I could believe that's something that's like a holdover from there. The name thing, it's like, is this in the Japanese? Is this some sort of convention yeah. from from dubs I, in this area that I don't know? Did I, they just want people to know how to pronounce the title? I buy that <laughs> more than that it was actually in the opening. I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> I, I would I would be very curious to like go back and rewatch the Japanese because I I really enjoyed the Japanese version when I watched it like over a decade ago because and that's how like. I fell in love with the show. Um, so, it, I, I, but it's again been like at least a decade since I've seen this show. I just looked um, up on YouTube. He does not say it uh, when he does He does not show. say it. I thought right. so. I was like, I don't think he does. But, um, but no. All right. Any other thoughts on the directing or the production of this English dub before we start talking about our wonderful stories that we will be getting into? <laughs> I'm just so happy this exists so we can actually talk about it on this podcast. Mm. Our, our, right. our Japanese sops. God damn it. Fuck. All right. We're, so there are a total of five, four, five, five. five. There are a total of five, five stories. Ah, ah, ah. All right, smart ass. Uh, there are a total of five stories throughout the course of this 12 episode little show. Uh, how we're going to be splitting it up, I think the easiest way to do it, um, we're going to be doing three different sections. Two of them are going to have two stories each, and then the third is just going to be by itself because that's actually a relatively large cast, and it makes sense. Um, some of the previous stories have a well have well balanced um, cast. So the first stories we are going to be talking about 
We're going to go in chronological order of the show. We have the stories Zashiki Warashi and Umibozu. Uh, the story of Zashiki Warashi is essentially... Uh, Let's see. So, while spending the night in a traditional inn, the medicine seller stumbles upon a strange phenomenon. A pregnant woman named Shino, who is desperately seeking shelter at the inn, is led to the last vacant room. The room, though, is haunted by a group of Zashiki Warashi. When the Zashiki Warashi kill an assassin aiming for Shino's life, protecting Shino and her unborn child, the medicine seller inquires into the origin of the Mononoke there. Uh, as for our story of Umibozu... Uh, traveling on a merchant's luxurious ship, the medicine seller and the other passengers drift into the Dragon's Triangle, a mysterious sea of Ayak full of Ayakashi. Among the passengers are Kayo, a servant girl from the Sakai house of Bakineko fame, uh, Genkai, a Buddhist monk, and Genuyoshi, a minstrel and spiritualist. Though the appearance of Umibozu and Ayakashi demands that the passengers reveal their worst fears, uh, the group discovers that Genkai was the one who set the ship off course. Now, there is much more to this, hey, hey. to both of those stories, of course, but I'm just giving, like, short versions of it. Hey, Stephanie. Um, Stephanie. Hi. You went, hi. To you went to college, right? Yeah. Weren't you told not to plagiarize Wikipedia when doing your homework? <laughs> Listen, there's a lot that happens in these in these stories, and trying to keep make sure I can keep track of them. Yeah, is, we're is we're lucky we can make a concrete plot explanation of these things, honestly. So. Listen, you're lucky. I'm I'm making it make sense at least. Actually, they're um, not that hard to no, follow. No, they're not. They're they're complex because like this does uh, assume you know a little bit about Japanese folklore. Like if you mm -hmm. don't know what uh, Zashiki Warashi is, this show won't explain what that is. But you yeah. can probably pick up on the context of like their their parlor yeah. demons. Zashiki like, Warashi was like it kind of left me kind of scratching my head of like what in the hell is going on. But then we got to Umibozu and I was like, okay, I can follow this a little better. So uh, a good one of the big things that the show in general does it it, it shows rather than tells. Yeah. It leaves a lot of context clues um, throughout the course of it, and much a lot of symbolism in the, in the show, because um, it, it I think it prides itself more on the visuals rather than actually like telling like like verbally telling you the story, um, and I think that's what mm. helps make it a very unique and interesting um, show. But anyway, uh, for our two stories, starting with Zashiki Warashi, we are going to be talking about. Medicine Seller is going to be much later. We're not going to talk about him at all till the very tail end. So we're going to be talking our major characters from um, the the these the, um, stories themselves. First, we have Shino, uh, the aforementioned pregnant woman who is trying to find shelter during a rainstorm and is given that vacant room. Uh, we have the Zashigiwarashi themselves. Uh, we have... Okami Hisano, uh, who is the proprietor of this inn, and we have one of her employees, Tokuji. Uh, and God said to well, the virgin, Shino, for yours shall be the only son of God. Um, and babies will come out of the walls, and they yeah. will be multicolored <laughs> and have weird-looking teeth. Yep. Oh, lordy. Um, God, I don't want to do this. Right. No. Uh... <laughs> As for Umibozu, uh, we have our minstrel Genyoshi Yanagi. Uh, we have a the owner of the ship, 
who is name is Toman Miku Mikunia. And my no I have little notes to remember and keep track of some of these characters. My note for this dude is goldfish. Mm -hmm. Because he has so many fucking rare goldfish and he's he has he has a lot of pride for them. The snack that uh, smiles back sorry, goldfish. <laughs> we have we have Kayo, who again, um, she is the only character that crosses over from the original Bakineko story during the Ayakashi series. That's interesting. I didn't know that, actually. Yes. So she already knows who the medicine seller is and what his deal is. Um, oh, so that's why they referenced so, that they met each other. They crossed paths before. Correct. I'm surprised this series has any continuity whatsoever, but okay. Somehow. But somehow just, it does. I'm sorry, just, just a note <laughs> is that that, that original um, Ghost Story series had a, a diff, uh, mix of cast in it. Uh, Kenji Nakamura and the writer of this particular section, one Jackie J. Konaka, uh, were both mm -hmm. staff members in that series as well. So Kaya's story essentially is she was a servant to the family that had a Baki Neko or Goblin Cat problem in, during the Ayakashi storyline and the medicine seller helped out, but now she's trying to find uh, a new job in Edo. That's the story and that's why she's in Uibozu. Uh, we also have Hayao Sasaki, who is a samurai. Uh, we have Genkai, who is an older monk, oldest, older Buddhist monk, and we have his young apprentice, Sogen. Uh, now, here we go with the with the voices. Such famous um, and well-known actors. So here's what's good. We are here's the good part about this. Oh, there's a lot of double triple casting throughout the whole course of the show, which means I'm only going to be doing one set of credits every time we introduce a new person. Hallelujah, because we would be here all night. <laughs> so going back to Zashiki Wadashi as Shino, the pregnant woman. Uh, we have Sarah Hauser who has voiced characters such as Kuroboros in the Animax dub of Cardcaptor Sakura, oh. uh, Kirika Tashibana and Ren Kan Kanagai in Kazino Stigma for the Animax dub, and for the Animax dub of Sergeant Frog, uh, she is also Kararo. The Zashiki Wadashi are voiced by Jessica De, De Borja, uh, she has voiced characters such as Sei Iori in Gundam Build Fighters, Sky Blue in the Animax dub of Inazuma Eleven, as well as for the Animax dub of Squid Girl, uh, Eiko Aizawa, Kiyomi Sakura, and Nagisa Saito. So, three characters. Um, as Okami Hisiano, the proprietor, we have Elizabeth Lowenborn who has voiced characters such as China Kos Kosaka in Gundam Build Fighters, and Emily Om Amande in Mobile Suit Gundam Age. There wasn't a lot of credits for her. Uh, as for Tokoji, we have Michael C. Pizzuto, and I'm not listing any credits, and there is a very valid reason for that. We will get to that much later. I'm going to put a pin in his name. Just remember We're that gonna for We're going to pin in that one for a little while. Uh, Umi Bozu. As Yanagi the Minstrel, we have Scott Evans. He has voiced for the Animax dub of Emma of Victorian Romance, Hans and Richard Jones. Uh, he's also voiced Ryodu Yukiatsu Yuki in Ghost Slayer's Ayashi. And, wow, what the hell did I type here? Hanamichi Sakuragai in the Animax dub of Slam Dunk. As uh, Tomon Mikiuna, we have Vinay Narani, whose really only other anime voicing credit that I found uh, was Kazuki Fuchion in the Animax dub of Getbackers. 
Kayo, uh, the girl from Ayakashi, is voiced by Lydia Lee Tang, and I have no credits for her because this is the this and one other character in this show are the only voice acting credits she has. Um, she is a a, lot, a film actor though, and a TV actor, so she has had previous credits um, in film and TV, mostly in Southeast Asia. Uh, as for Mr. Samurai Sasaki, we have once again Victor Lee, our director. Our director. He has voiced characters such as Shido Fukurai in the Animax dub of Get Backers. Uh, Takumi Nomiya in Hunting Clover 2, and the elder Togoro brother in the Animax dub of Yu Yu Hakusho. As for Genkai the Old Monk, Vene Norani also plays this character, and as for his apprentice Sogen, we actually do not know who voices this character. Um, he is one of the four in this entirety of the show that there's no credit for as of right now. Mm. So... Why don't we start with the story of Zashiki Warashi? What are our thoughts on the performances of this story? This episode's kind of freaky. <laughs> Just to break the ice there. Um, that being said, though, um, in as far as episodes about uh, former brothels and uh, rooms where not-so-good things happened, um, I am going to be nicer to uh, Sarah's performance of Shino because I, I like, in my memory... I remember that there was a lot of screeching and a lot of my baby in that particular performance. My baby, but yeah. it it was the but honestly the tone it's going for the, this uh, conflicted mother who wants to mm-hmm. just buy their kid while also on the run from a former uh, master who she apparently had uh, arrangements with is done pretty well just because. I like the flavor. I, I like the flavor of the performance that this whole cast has. I like that Shino sounds different from Okami. Um, I like that the uh, the assassin character sounds different from the other members, the other male members of the hotel. And I like that when push comes to shove, we actually get like a very tragic performance from Elizabeth, especially when she has to describe what the hotel used to be and what exactly the room that they're in used to be for. Yeah. So, to kind of give more context, what we find out, because again, the only way the medicine seller can um, exercise the Mononoke is if he knows the shape, the truth, and the reason behind it. And the room that she, the vacant room that Shino is given, um, as as Noah kind of alluded to, the inn used to be a brothel back in the day. And And what did they use the room for? With it being a brothel, there was a lot of, like, obviously courtesans women for hire things like that um (laughs) if one of them were to get pregnant uh that's a big Mm no-no because they can't pay off their debt if they're pregnant and there's a kid involved so that room was specifically so that way um they can give the woman an abortion yeah and that's why we have a bunch of demon spirits basically the unborn children Yep, the unborn children, I believe my understanding is, if I remember correctly, um, is that the corpses of the babies were uh, basically stocked up in the walls of that room. Well, that was your first problem. That's just asking for trouble. That's the... Yeah, yeah. So um, you bring in Shino, who's pregnant, and um, it kind of triggers the Zashiki Wadashi and and all of the pain um, that women have gone through in the past in that exact room so (laughs) 
Um, I forgot how hard this this particular story hits. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. Mm. It is arguably the 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 one that is going to be the hardest to stomach through. No matter what yes. your uh, background is, you will probably find this the more like. Mm, not sure if I want to keep going with the show, but it, yeah, it, it's a weird one to start with. Honestly, it's a weird one to start with, but at the same time, once you get past this one, it's a little bit easier to digest. Yeah, the the other ones aren't as dark. Honestly, well, yeah. the last one kind of is, but last one is. Uh, yeah, but... the whole cast having to uh, handle this tightrope walk of uh, what is essentially a murder mystery show is really uh, set in place by mm-hmm. this particular group here. And like I said, Okami, um, Elizabeth's performance of that, I think, is probably the best performance of this particular group, just because she gets to play both the pathos of what she had to do in the past, but also the bitter old woman she's become who's saying things to Shino like, you're a stupid woman for wanting to keep a kid, and young women like you don't know any better. Elizabeth's performance is very interesting. Um, Like, she, she really... There were moments where the old lady voice grated on me, but at the same time, I'm like, bro, that's an old lady. <laughs> like, what? you're being critical over an old lady. Um, but the shift between the older and the younger versions is very seamless. Um, I'm Obviously, I'm going to assume that they did different takes to make that seamless. Um, but even then, it was just a very interesting like fun transition between those two person like those two moments in time um and i enjoyed her performance a lot sarah sarah hauser was had her moments she had her moments especially i think especially towards the last parts of the story um where she was more than willing to give birth to every single zashiki warashi that mm-hmm. was in that room she was willing to be the mother for all of them because they never got any mothers. And that actually, I think, hit pretty pretty hard. Um, she, she was able to nail those moments very nicely, and I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, I think her performance mm. is very good. Uh, the problem is that just some of the writing's a little clunky. Um, I think some of the word choices and yeah. the the way that... Uh, the uh, Amon brought this up. The awkward pauses in some places that just kind of have to be there um, are what's kind of hindering the performance overall. Because we're already, uh, I think we're on board with the visual style, but we're still kind of buying the, uh, you know, there's this is a monster kind of show where we're throwing in mythological creatures. So we have to, mm-hmm. sh- her performance has to carry us into that world and the word choice makes that difficult. I think the, these two are a prime example going from episode 1 to 2 to 3 to 5. I think it's a prime example of how much the dub improves as it yes. keeps going. Um, because I... I Because Umibozu was able to hold my attention a lot more. And it, the performances felt more a lot like what I would expect from an, an English dub. Zashiki Warashi was a little like awkward in some places but Umibozu felt a lot more like oh it feels like the actors are starting to finally understand the series a little better and how they should approach it because a lot of the performances really felt pretty strong like uh like uh Vinay Narayani is that how you say it Narani I apologize if we butcher names tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Um, but as as Genki, like, 
did a really good job. Like I, I really liked that performance. I thought it was kind of the standout of that. L- liked, of that liked part. Liked the performance, but um, didn't like the character. I'm hoping. One. Right. To yeah. Of course not. Die into ocean by end. I, I tend not to get that passionate I, about fictional characters. <laughs> if I'm being honest, that it maintains that old stereotype of uh, monks in anime uh, saying that they're like righteous and upstanding uh, civil servants when they're just in it for the money. Right. Like they're in it for the money and the power, and it's like, oh, we got another example of that here in Mun and Okay. I also really liked uh, Scott Evans as the minstrel. Too. Yeah, I liked him a lot. I thought I thought his voice didn't necessarily fit, in my opinion, but I think the performance was pretty good. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's kind of my brief thoughts. Honestly, I didn't have many thoughts about Zashiki Warashi or, or Umibozu much. But okay. Umibozu was kind of the point where I was like, oh, this is actually a pretty interesting show. Like, I'm actually starting to... Did that particular story yeah. remind you a bit of, like, Murder on the Orient Express? Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, I, okay, now this feels more like a, like, Agatha Christie, like, Japanese mythology kind of stuff now. And I can yeah. actually kind of get behind that. I think I agree, like, Elizabeth seemed like she was the real standout of the Shiki Warashi, um, for the reasons you've said. I thought Sarah did a good job as well, like, especially when she, you know, she, she really gives it all as sort of this panicking mom just trying to do her best um i also think jessica was impressively creepy <laughs> these yeah. terrifying little baby demons <laughs> the, the, the little buddha babies as far as the guys in emu bozu uh, the one who stuck out to hear me most i think was uh Vinay narani mostly because the way he voices toman it reminded me a lot of how like Derek stephen prince would voice a character like that I don't like he didn't sound, he didn't sound exactly like yeah. Derek Stephen Prince. I wouldn't mistake him for him, but there's something about the quality of like this is a lot of how he would play this kind of character, um, which I think this is also I think like the dub like the, the first couple episodes. I, I I am curious to know if they were like dubbed earlier, especially for reasons we'll talk about later, and then maybe if the rest of it was dubbed a little bit later because this this I think the the the. It does improve a little bit starting here, um, and I think part of that is this is the point which, like, you know, if I didn't know any better, I would, if you asked me where was this dub made, this is kind of where it starts feeling like, no, no, this sounds like something that was made in, like, Los Angeles or something. Like, this, this is kind of where I, w- I would I would peg this as, like, not necessarily being a dub made outside of the usual dubbing spheres we're talking about. Yeah, and, and to kind of piggyback off of that a little bit. Um, I know I said earlier that in my brain, production-wise, my speculation was, like, maybe as early as 2008. Because this sounds like it could be, like, a early 2000s, late 2000s dub to yeah. me. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So, you now you can understand why, like, maybe that's where my brain went. And Umibozu kind of is the story that also solidified that in my head. And continuing on through the course of the rest of the show. Um so it's 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 very interesting. Um, There's a lot of flavor, definitely, in the variety of the characters here, and how much the actors bring to this. Yes. Like you have the mix between uh, Kayo as like this uh, young teen-sounding actor who's trying to you know go, I'm going off for a better job, or the older, uh, cragglier-looking characters, all kind of working off each other too, because the the script allows them to kind of point fingers at each other like who affected the compass who sent us into the Bermuda Triangle and all of that makes for a more enjoyable experience than if it was just let's just focus on each character one by one especially in the scene where the Biwa playing fish monster says tell me you're most dangerous <laughs> you're most scared of. be honest 
Yep. I'm scared then, of steam buns. And then, yeah, and then fucking Yanagi's just like, mm, oh my god, bun. You know what was in the bun, right? It, it, it's priest. What? Just what? a little priest. Is it good, sir? It's too good, at least. Yeah! Then again, they don't commit sins of the flesh, so it's pretty fresh. Yay! We will not sing the entire Sweeney Todd song, but we absolutely could sing the whole musical. Chai the priest. I, I mean, I, that part, I love Kaya's uh, reaction to that, too, because we actually get to see... Because not only do we get to see her overreaction to what is essentially a very unpleasant uh, miscarriage, it seems like, but she also has to kind of lie at the beginning. She's like, uh, yep. the thing I'm most scared of is uh, never falling in love, and uh, uh, I'm scared I'll never have kids. And like You can tell it's a very fake affectation of what she's actually scared of, which is going through the pains right. of mother of childbirth. Yeah, because if you lie to the Umibozu, he will figure it out and make it worse. Will. I could not tell that uh, Vinny was playing two characters in this. Um, I wasn't listening for it, but it did not. Yes. I yeah. could not tell. Just uh, it. It didn't. They two did not sound the same. Oh no! Yeah, they were. They were vastly different. A hundred percent. Which is a good thing. I, I couldn't. I couldn't tell any of the double castings. Honestly, I will give the dub that. So. Yeah, which is a good thing because a, we're going to be seeing a lot of repeat mm -hmm. names mm -hmm. <laughs> in the next few. It, in the next, it's a shame of that hours. we don't know who Sogan's um, voice is because I know that the the animation was and even the yeah. voice acting was supposed to be very flamboyant and. Uh, uh, yes. We don't know who it is. I mean, I'm for some, yeah, for some for some of these, I would be surprised if it is maybe someone else in the cast, and it's just not like. Like, I, I don't know, I, you know, I don't know how much this is someone going off of memory versus something they have something written down, but, um, right, yeah, you, you, yeah, did, it, you did a good job, whoever you are. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to tell. Um, I will say I also liked Genkei, uh, because, good lord, his story is crazy. Um. What a fucking slime ball. He misled the ship and directed it towards the, uh, Dragon's Triangle where all the Ayakashi is, because he's trying to find... A float, a basically a, a little floating casket, essentially that has his dead, now dead sister in it from like fifty fucking years ago or something like that. Um, what he says is the story is he was so in love with and enamored with his sister. Um, he and she did this out of love because if there if if it wasn't acceptable for her to be with her own brother, she'd rather just like be at peace and go off no the dude just didn't go into the damn casket because he's he's like bro i want to be a really good monk and get to, lots to, of yes, fucking he, money i want it all was his motto for life yep oh, pretty much and then it was only after his sister left was then he realized that he actually does give a shit about his sister and he was trying to find her again to try and get forgiveness from her mm. essentially all these stories all these stories end with the moral don't screw over other people and be, try to be a good decent human mm -hmm. being this leads us to essentially uh genkai being the mononoke that the medicine the medicine slayer, slayer. Medicine slayers, uh exercises medicine slayer he is a goddamn slayer at this point that Let's was the alternate you. title of this more copies if they put that title on <laughs> And then people would be sorely confused and possibly disappointed. The heavy the metal fans would have been is. all over this, though. You tell me you wouldn't buy an album with the title Medicine Slayer on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hell yeah, let's go. 
I will ma- I will make uh, a webtoon now <laughs> called Medicine Slayer. So, <laughs> all right, let's move on to our next two stories. Uh, we have for episodes six and seven, we have No Parabo, No Parabo, uh, as well as for episodes eight and nine, we have Nue. These these two stories, just small context, and again, I'm going to cheat and. I will say my goddamn sources, Noah. I, I don't know what you tell Wikipedia. Me. I, 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 <laughs> um, just read the back of the box. <laughs> I cited my sources. Goddamn. I wish if they were able to to like briefly like give a description of all of these five of these stories on the back of the set, that would be some tiny ass print on there. <laughs> you would need a magnifying glass for I mean, that. You just shit. name it. Just part one would be Holy like the one hell. with the pregnant woman. Second part would be the Agatha Christie murder murdery on the ship. The second, the third one here is going to be the one with the abused wife, and the fourth one is going to be the smelling game. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for if A twenty four made an anime, <laughs> fuck it, I'll watch it. A twenty four does some good shit. Um, the story of Noprabo. Uh, a despairing woman named Ocho, wishing for freedom but unable to escape her oppression, confesses to killing her husband's entire family. The medicine seller doubts this story, however, and visits Ocho in her prison cell to ask her for the truth, but encounters a Mononoke in a no-mask who fights the medicine seller and allows Ocho to escape. As for Nui, the story here. Three men are seeking to marry Lady Rui, the sole heir to the Fukunokoji wow, school of incense, who arrive at her mansion to participate in a competition of incense, only to find that the fourth suitor is missing and that the medicine seller has taken his place. During the competition, Lady Rui is murdered. When the medicine seller inquires as to why the three suitors are so desperate to inherit the school, even after Lady Rui's death, the suitors reveal that the competition is not actually over the school of incense, but the Todaiji, a piece of wood rumored to grant its owner great power. Spoiler alert, the three men were Bruce Willis all along. (laughs) (laughs) They were all Bruce Willis all along. So the characters we're going to be talking about, we have... For Noprabo, we have Ocho, again, the woman who's imprisoned for killing her husband's entire family. Um, we have the man, I refer to him as the fox man. Uh, he's the man in the no mask. Uh, primarily, it's a fox mask, but it does change forms. Um, and I feel like we should also talk about Ocho's mother, because she actually has a pretty decent integral role as to Ocho's motivation. But you don't want to talk about all the in-laws? Oh, fuck that. <laughs> I don't want to talk about the dude who kept saying... Are they credited? <laughs> I mean... Oh, probably. I think they are. Okay. Um, they are. I'm pretty sure they are, but... Bring us more sake! I don't want to talk... Bring us more sake! Bring us more <laughs> bring, sake! Bring us... Yeah. Yeah, you, they literally just reused audio, like, six times in the dub, so... Yep. Like, they repeat the same scene. Oh, I bet she... I, as long as she's good in bed. Oh, husband, don't be naughty! <laughs> See, yeah. that's the kind of the same thing. Yeah, that's the kind of wordage where it's like, um, mm, that that feels like I don't know what I would make the wordage, but it's like, you don't use the word naughty in your language when you're telling your husband to stop being a creep. As for the story of Nue, we have for our characters there, we have Osawa Robo, uh, who is one of the suitors. He is a courtier. 
Uh, Muromachi Tomoyashi, who is another suitor, and he is a samurai. Uh, Nakarai Sansui, Tansui, who is a fishmonger, and he is one of the suitors. Uh, our fourth suitor is Jisunonji Konari. Uh, he dead. <laughs> he dead, but he he does actually talk a tiny bit. Uh, then we also have Lady Rui and the Nue itself. Though there's probably not going to be much to talk there for reasons, and we'll get to that. Uh, the people who are playing these characters. Back to Naparabo. Noperabo. Wow, I can pronounce shit. Uh, Ocho is played by Lydia Lee Tang. Uh, our man in the no mask is played by Scott Evans. And Ocho's mother is played by a new voice to this cast. Uh, Kate Higgett. Kate Hawkins. She, the only credit... Kate Higgins. That's a very no. different no. actress. No, no, no. That's a very different actress. Kate yeah. Hawkins. Uh, I was going to say, how'd they get her in Hong Kong? <laughs> yeah. The only credit that Kate Hawkins has, according to ANN, though I imagine she's more primarily a film TV actor, uh, the only credit we have is Hong- a Honka security agent in the live-action Ghost in the Shell movie. That's it. Yeah, because uh, what a random credit. Well, the thing is, credit. remember, Ghost of the Shell is really, really popular, like everywhere. So it kind of makes sense that it has a Singapore dub. So, yeah. Um, as for Nue, our other story, uh, Osawa is voiced by Scott Evans. Tomoya- Tomoyoshi is voiced by Vinay Narani. Uh. Nakarai, the fishmonger, is played by Mike Michael Pizzuto. Oh, there's that pin again. Uh, Jisonji is also played by Michael Pizzuto. I like how it's written. Courtier, samurai, fishmonger, dead. <laughs> That's how I'm making, keeping track of who these characters are. Uh, Lady Rui is played by Kate Hawkins. And new, the new A is voiced by Michael C. Pizzuto. <laughs> Michael Pizzuto has quite a few roles in this show, by the way. <laughs> this is like a four kids dub. Look, Lack, when, when you're yeah, playing yeah. Guess Who, do, do you ask, like, the nuance of the character? Or do you like, uh, is he the hat guy? Is he the fishmonger guy? Is he the dead guy? He's the dead guy, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> right. I just thought it was funny, like, it's all occupations and then dead. <laughs> His job is being dead. <laughs> His job is being dead. I'm glad you wrote. <laughs> what, what? Hold on. What How do I get that actually... job? Am I right, people? All right. What do they actually say for this character? No, they don't say his actual occupation on the Wikipedia. They just say one of Lady Rui's suitors horribly murdered prior to the competition. Doesn't even show okay. up. That's all it says. All right. So let's start in order again. Uh, no para bo. The story of Miss Ocho... <laughs> And her dead husband's family. This is just an episode of Snapped. <laughs> Poor lady. Well, well, yeah, yeah. You, on the outside, on the onset, you think that's the, that's the case. I mean, that's the hook. That that's the hey, you want to? That is that is that is the hook. I'm gonna of tell this. you right it now. Is... There are a lot of married women out there who would be really into a show where a woman supposedly murders her entire awful married into family. It's like anime Kevin can go fuck himself. <laughs> fuck. Because Earl had to die. Yep. Um, now, see, um, yep. Lydia's performance as Ocho is, an, is the one I think of the most as when she has to scream is when she can't mm-hmm. keep it together the most. Because there are some scenes where 
She's yeah. like, um, uh, oh, what, what was that um, Martin Scorsese movie where uh, uh, Shutter Island? She Shutter Islands her memories basically, where she's like gradually remembering what actually happened. Yeah. And yep. it's and yep. so the, in those parts, it's um, it's there's just a lot of like no, like it's up there with uh, Star Wars Episode Three levels of I do not believe that. But yeah. I will give a lot more credit for the actual uh, sad moments of she's trying to convince herself that her mom actually loved her when her mom really just saw her as a meal ticket. Uh, she was trying mm -hmm. to, she thought she was in love with the Mononoke when he was just kind of manipulating her into getting what he wanted. So I'm actually going to give Lydia a lot of credit in carrying this particular section because I don't know if I'd say it was my favorite section, but I do think it was the one that. Uh, was the most fun to watch dissected because all these murder mysteries you're like where's this going yeah. I, I like the the revelation about the mom is awful the mononoke manipulated her the family treated her this way and again a credit to kate hawkins as well because her performance as the mom is just that right balance of acts lovingly but is really just prepping their daughter to uh you know marry rich it's like we have no money you are the only one who can help out by marrying. I don't care about love. Screw love. Marry for money. Marry the mole. It, it's a very, for her, it's a very tragic story. And I think Lydia carries that story very well. I will agree with Noah that this is one of the stories where screaming moments don't exactly line up very well. Um, but I really, I really do like her performance. And I was impressed with Scott Evans. Weirdly enough, after only hearing him in the previous story, in the previous day when I was watching the show, I knew, I was like, instantly, I'm like, is this also Scott Evans? <laughs> when I heard <laughs> him again, it is similar to Yanagi, but it's different enough to make it distinct of a character. So I have to give him credit for that as well. <laughs> also, before I talk, I don't mean to be that guy, but I'll point out, she's practicing a Kodo. Uh, Shimi Sansen is one of those loop guitar Thank things. You. Thank you, thank you. Sorry. weren't you Sorry. weren't you was... weren't you on the episode where we did the Kodo anime? I was, and I fucking <laughs> blanked on it. I was like, "What the fuck is the name of this instrument?" I was thinking of a biwa originally, and I'm like, "That's not a biwa. I know it's not a fucking biwa." You got there. I'm like, what is this? Um, <laughs> the Kodo. My bad. <laughs> what I, I I agree with what you're saying about Lydia. I think like I think she's she's pretty good in this role. I think you know she's. She's basically like the main character of this segment. I think she does a good job of carrying that. Um, Scott is a lot of fun as this manipulative thing, mask fox doodad thing. Um, fox doodad. I'll take a little bit to talk about. It. Yeah, uh, I'll take a little bit to talk about Kate Hawkins, who I think does a good does a good job of having that. Like, she probably cared at some point. Even at the end, she probably thought she cared. Yeah, like they're, they're, she played a good crappy mom mm -hmm. who like has <laughs> has a lot of self interest, but probably still thinks that she's doing this at least in part for like also like I want my daughter to have a good life that we were denied that I just happened to be coming along for. Yeah, it's may, it may not necessarily a sincere sentiment, but I, I I believe that she believes it. If that makes sense. Naparabo was a really interesting one, um, just because of how many like storytelling layers there were. Mm. Um, I will be honest, the performances did not really stand all that out to me in this one. Um, it, mostly because I was just kind of trying to follow along what was actually going on 
It's kind of a um. What is that uh, movie? Um, what's that movie where you see a, uh, the same story from multiple angles again? Not Hood. Rashomon. Rosh, thank you. I was gonna say Rochambeau, but that's an God entirely different damn it. movie. Sorry. <laughs> That's exactly what I, I think was the the structure of this episode, and that's why we hear the line about where's the sake over and over again. Yeah, I think the performances were fine, though. Honestly, I just none of them really stood all that far out to me. Okay. I um, I thought the I thought the performance from Scott Evans's Fox Mask was pretty interesting. Um, I'd say he was probably the standout of all of them, just because it was. He was playing a pretty neat character, so he got to kind of play around with that a little bit. And we find out that he's not really the problem, which is kind yeah. of neat. Um, so Cause I, it, Yeah, because it's set up, to, set up to believe that he is the problem when he's not. Yeah, and, and I like that he doesn't really play it like a villain or anything mm -hmm. like that, which I think helps a lot. Because you just assume he's the villain and then you find out, oh no, not really. He's... He's not really a victim or anything, but he's not really the villain either. Right. So, um, but yeah, uh, should I talk about New A too, or should? Do we want to move on to New A, or is there any other thoughts on uh, No Perobo before we? Move I'd like on? to move on to New A because I don't have any thoughts on that part. So I'd like to hear what you guys thought. Sure. Okay, yeah, go ahead, Lack. What are your thoughts on New A? New A. Um. Okay. It's. It's also. Very interesting, but I think what I like about this one is is that we kind of get, like, three different major performances through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And I really like that, and I like the fact that they were three very distinct performances. Because you've got the courtier, you've got um, the, the samurai, and you've got the fishmonger. And they each bring a certain amount of uh, different um, personalities to this. I think this was kind of the first time I was really watching this and feeling like, this is actually a pretty decent dub right here. Honestly, yeah. because I think it's really helped by the performances of Scott of Scott Evans of uh, Vinay Narini uh, and uh, Michael C. Pizzuto. Like, uh, I, I think they actually fill their roles pretty well for this. Um, I would say they are the standouts, mostly because they got to play some really weird characters. Yeah. But they got to bring some really weird voices, and it wasn't just them going, I am playing this character, I am playing this character. No, they actually went full tilt and tried to give some, like, memorable performances for this. And I think that's really admirable. And I think Nui was kind of the point where the, the dub, where, where the dub was starting to kind of find its feet. Where it was starting to kind of understand how to approach this anime. Yeah, so. I think, I, I agree with that. Like, Nui was... Like, because I think you said Umibozu was where, kind of, for you, it started, like, getting its footing a bit more. Yeah. Nui, I think, is the point where it has figured out where it's landing. Um, as an overall dubbing, like, production-wise, for overall production dubbing-wise, this is definitely one of the stronger ones right. out of, of the five stories. Um, I would think the strongest... If not the strongest, I think probably the other one potentially could be our next section, uh, our final story of the of the of the show, um, because because you're I 100% agree like between Scott Vinay and Michael like these are three very diverse performances, um, 
and they're just not they they're distinct from each other they have these fun personalities fun interactions and dynamics with even within the whole group too and with the medicine seller um and then you have just as fun little cherries on the cake um you also have michael bazuto as jisonji completely different um than what he did with the fishmongerer um being this little scummy little shit gremlin essentially <laughs> and then you have kate hawkins as lady Rui, who has at least when she's quote-unquote alive this nice gentle touch to her but then when you get to the point where she is dead but you also learn about the actual truth and reason of this mononoke in particular like her flipping that switch and just being like Meh! <laughs> it was like really nice um context wise with this story you find out that in this story effectively all of the suitors here are dead than have been because of the um what is your goddamn thing the todaiji so the todaiji is the again is essentially this this mystical like piece of wood that has like the most amazing scent um, and is sought after by folks and would lead to, like, power if you have this rare item. Um, that's what brings these suitors to this place and ultimately their downfall because the Todaiji is actually the Mononoke itself. Also, this this whole series used a lot of words I don't know, so that made it hard to follow, <laughs> kind of. This freaking so. section was hard to follow if you don't understand Japanese language at all. It was impossible to follow. What the hell is I'm the honestly going surprised up? the dub didn't translate more of the words, but I don't think you could. Yeah. Into what? <laughs> yeah, what what no I don't know, you could find something. They're all words for flowers and scents that don't exist on this continent. What are you gonna turn them into? I, I, I feel like part of the unspoken joke is that it is needlessly complicated in the first place. <laughs> yes! And that, that this is how she's going to decide who's going to marry her. It's pretty messed up. But it's it's that that's the whole confusing part of it. But no, yeah, the main context of the story is that the Todaiji is actually the Mononoke in this. All of the suitors that come to try and claim the Todaiji end up dead. Uh, the medicine seller, of course, knows this, and for a good portion of this story, basically fucks with them and tries to get them to remember that they are dead uh, by by basically quote-unquote killing them again <laughs> in some of sometimes the weirdest and most bizarre ways I'll, i'll concede that it was well worth the payoff at the end when we, when we get to the twist of like you know what why these characters are doing this we're like oh yes we're revealing like you were actually dead all along that like that's a good twist but it took a mm-hmm. long, it lot of japanese wordplay to get there that i honestly mm-hmm. i guess i gotta applaud the both the writers and the actors for even attempting to do this in the English language. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, that's kind of the thing is like, it does make you kind of wonder why bother dubbing Mononoke in the first place? Well, just for this particular part, I can, I can see why that would be off putting the the sections we talked about beforehand. There's still universal themes that are just kind of set in feudal Mm -hmm. Japan. that Don't necessarily, they, it deserves to exist in the English language. Yeah, I think so far out of the stories, uh, the new A one would be the hardest one to translate. Um, meanwhile, the other ones, while 
the other the other three stories so far, they do a lot more showing than telling, um, to help with you with like context clues, symbolism, things like that, in order to help you tell and understand the stories for, e for each of them. Mm -hmm. uh, New A is an oddball one because it's not really like that. <laughs> <laughs> It's probably the oddest one out of the bunch that doesn't follow that same um, that same presentation style that it does. But I still love this story a lot. <laughs> no, it's actually it's it's genuinely kind of a really interesting story. So yeah, I think this this one this I think this one does the best at hiding where it's going. Yes, because um, I I didn't 100%. I didn't specifically guessed where. Um, Nopera and uh, the one we're about to talk about we're going, but like kind of halfway through it's like alright, there's clearly going to be a turn somewhere, what would make sense well this one would make sense if she's the one who actually died not the family um, right. like it wasn't quite a, like aha, but it's kind of like I, I could see a potential outcome um, this one like I would not have seen that coming if, like at all like I actually think I was very well executed yeah, I think this one actually I think is a pretty good acting showcase just because you get these three really strong performances and um Lead up to this, actually, uh, Michael Pizzuto has like a website, which you know it's a pretty standard like one page thing with like here's my contact info, here are some demo reels, and I decided to listen to the one he had for like his animation work, partially to see like oh is Mononoke in here? Dude's got yeah. a lot of range, and uh, I think this 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 section is also kind of a testament to that. He can do a lot of voices that do not necessarily sound like they're coming out of the same dude's mouth. It's impressive. I'm gonna have to look at that reel later because I didn't get the chance to see it, but uh, no, yeah, the fact that. <laughs> The fact that he plays both a fishmonger and then the dead guy, and then apparently the fucking Nue or the piece of fucking wood or some shit. <laughs> Whatever the fuck it is. Um, it's cocaine. It's, like, it's a MacGuffin. It doesn't matter. It's, what it is isn't important. It's that people want it. Yes, that's the it, thing. It kills you when you like, smell it. It's those... obviously drugs. That's the only thing it could possibly be. Pretty much, because everybody's just like all over that shit. Also, can I just say... The slaying of the Mononoke for this story is probably the most anticlimactic because all you get is the medicine seller is going to like slay it and then the next frame is just like the Todaiji split in half. Well, that, that was just a thing in general on the show is just how, yeah, yeah. how things get cut and re-shown and yeah, cut. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying like... You gotta be willing to, like, put up with that if you're gonna yeah. watch this, so... It's a very, very distinct presentation style. Yeah. 100%. And... There's really not much anime really nice. like this at no. all. That That's why I think, like, maybe some of the style... Some of, like, the, the Kukubuki style that we were talking about earlier, um, or even to... Based on, like, the coloring and the textures of the, of the show itself... You could see this in like a storybook or like in older scrolls, like for folk tales. You think you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you can see, you can kind of see how these pieces are kind of coming together, and, and that makes it for a very unique style. And I really, really like that a lot. Ironically enough, the the thing it kind of reminded me of was not an ant. Well, well, it was kind of an anime. Uh, you ever seen the show called Grimm's Fairy Tale Classics from back in the eighties? I have not that I've heard of it. I know of it, but I haven't watched it. See, there was an episode that they did on... Chili Duvall hosted that, right? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That, it could have made it slightly better, but only slightly, because it was all very pretty great. 
Uh, there's an episode that show uh, that's focused on Bluebeard, which, if you know, that story is about <laughs> Jesus uh, Christ. Yeah, you know that it's about a, a messed up king who basically like he King Henry's his wives, and it's it's pretty messed up. They turn it into a children's show, but uh, there's an, that particular episode is like all uh, Japanese horror, uh, like you would see in actual live action Japanese stuff. And I'm watching this episode, and I'm watching the you know the messed up. Uh, fate of the characters in this new way section and i'm like yes. i could probably never show this to children but i'd love to live in the alternative where this did get licensed on like 80s nickelodeon and tried to be shown to children lord oh god like this is a, Good lord. Well, like, this is a morality tale like you should never marry for money and you should never sell your daughter into prostitution like yeah you shouldn't do that <laughs> you should never marry your sister uh, or, or, or yeah, yeah, no, you're you're no. There is no butt needed on that sentence. <laughs> you're right. But yeah, no, no other thoughts uh, on the actors in this. Honestly, the fact that I was more focused on like what the hell the rules of this game were, and I wasn't really focusing on the actors, it's probably a good thing for the actors because it means that their performances were strong enough that that I could just focus on what they were saying, what the what was going yeah. on in the episode, that I was not thinking about critiquing the acting itself. No, oh, yeah, that's that's definitely a credit because it seems by this point you kind of get a feel for what the dub itself is going for, and again, I think Nui is the story where the dub itself kind of like finds finds that landing, finds that like really gets that footing a hundred percent, like Black was saying earlier too. Um, are there any other thoughts on the two stories, Nopenabo and Nui, or do we want to move on to our final story? He had it coming. He had it coming. <laughs> he had it coming all along. All right, that's my. And in reality, and in reality, he actually didn't have it coming. No, but the... so. But it's still reminding me of Chicago, and that's the last musical reference I will make in this episode. Promise. I don't believe that for a hot minute. That is a flat <laughs> I don't believe lie. That for a second. We know that's a lie. All right, so. Let's move on to the final story, because we have the final story, and then we have the medicine seller himself left. So, our final story of Mononoke is Baki Neko. And no, it is not the Baki Neko from Ayakashi, before anyone asks. That's not I was going to say, I've heard this word before. But it's, but. But it's such a fun so, word. We had to use it again. You stupid we cat! <laughs> because remember, during the Umibozo story, we re we reintroduced to Kayo, who was in the first Baki Neko storyline. This is not the same Baki Neko storyline from the Ayakashi Samurai Horror Tales. Yeah. This is a different one that invo that involves the Baki Neko, though. So again, lots of layers. Lots of layers on this, and I'm looking at the Wikipedia, and there's some fun stuff here. It's actually the most like straightforward murder mystery, though, which is really interesting. Yes. So, set in a time decidedly later than the previous arcs, which it's implied to be about, like, the 1920s or so. You, you um, kids like your Demon Slayer, right? It's set right around that. <laughs> that's, that's, liter yeah. that's literally what I thought. It's like, ah, this is the Taisho era. I remember why that, what that's called, because Demon Slayer. Right. <laughs> uh, the medicine seller boards a train with several other passengers. Unfortunately... The train hits a ghostly girl on the tracks, and six passengers and the medicine seller are locked in the first car. The medicine seller questions the passengers to reveal a dark connection between them, shedding light on the murder of a young newspaper reporter. Um, it's, 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 that's essentially the main thing with this. Um, 
And the fun fact, and here's actually an interesting point that I didn't even notice until looking at the Wikipedia on this. Many voice actors from the original Baki Neko arc from Ayakashi actually reprise their roles in this Baki Neko arc. So there are oh, some cool. parallels here, uh, which shares a similar plot to the original Baki Neko arc, possibly implying that the characters from the original have reincarnated into this arc. <laughs> I mean, that, if you want to look at it that way, I guess that's fine, that, but... I'm just reading the Wikipedia. Yeah. It's also It's also been years since I watched Ayakashi, so I imagine, like... Because I can see, for instance, one of our characters being a potential reincarnation of Kaio. Now, here's instance. a question. Was Ayakashi dubbed? Yes. Ayakashi was. Oh, okay. Uh, who did the dub for Ayakashi? I don't, I, I don't remember specifically who did it, though. It was Canadian. Oh, it was oh, Canadian. Canadian. That makes sense. That makes sense. That's right. It was Canadian. It's a yeah. Canadian dub. Um, so anyway, anime. Our... <laughs> you know, it makes sense. Our characters. No, it makes sense that uh, you would say the uh, the characters may be reincarnations of characters from that previous Ayashi show because uh, the medicine seller looks really similar in this episode. <sighs> oh, shut the fuck up! <laughs> All right, the characters involved in this version of Baki Neko. So. We have uh, Setsuko Ichikawa. I have her labeled as the dead girl. <laughs> she is the reporter who ended up dying. Supposedly, the, the story is that she committed suicide by jumping off of a bridge and then uh, getting run over by a train. She was the reverse Lois Lane. We... I'll go to hell now. We have... <laughs> we have Kiyoshi Moria, who is a journalist and actually... Uh, Ichikawa's boss at the paper she used to work for. We have Bun we have Bunpei Kinoshita, who is the driver of the train. We have Nomoto Chio, who is a waitress. Uh, Haru Yamaguchi, who is a random widow. Uh, I say random, but again, everybody's connected. She she's a spinster. <laughs> spinster. We have Masao Kobayashi, who is a boy. Milk, a boy. <laughs> He's he he he's a he, he's a milk delivery guy. He's a milk boy. Uh, we have Sakai Karawaki, who is a detective, and we have Jutaro Fukuda, who is the mayor. Uh, so all of these characters are connected to Setsuko Ichikawa uh, and her death, and we will exp and we'll get to some of those connections here in a moment. The people playing these characters. Unfortunately, this is the arc where we do not have all of the credits for these cat for this cast. Which is very interesting, actually. But it is very interesting and very odd. Four of these characters, four, three, one, two, three, three of these, three of these, we do not know. All uh, and we female, I would get yeah, all female voices, I guess. So I would assume so. If Masao, I'm assuming, was played by a uh, female actress, um, so the characters we. Do not know voice actors for. We do not know who voices Setsuko Ichikawa. We do not know who voices Nomoto Chiyo. And we do not know who voices Masao Kobayashi. Okay? So the dead journalist, the waitress, and the milk boy. We do not know who voices these characters. For the remaining cast, as both Kiyoshi Moria and Bunpei, Kun Bunpei Gun Kunoshita, both of these are voiced by Michael Pizzuto. For Haru Yamaguchi, the widow, we have Jessica de Borja. As for Sakai Karawaki, the detective, we have Scott Evans. Finally, as 
Jutaro Fukuda, the mayor, our final new cast member of the bunch. We have Mike Brooks. Uh, he has voiced characters such as Alex Louise Armstrong in the Animax dub of Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood. Okay. Uh, as And he's also voiced Kei Karima and Shunsuke Sudo in Gundam Build Fighters Try. So, this is probably going to be, this is a very interesting story because it is, unlike some of the other stories, this is a very straightforward uh, murder mystery mm -hmm. because every single character who's stuck on that train, as I said before, is somehow either involved whether in Ichikawa's death, whether they are the actual murderer, a witness to it, or they're just claiming that they're involved. It's the anime equivalent of Phil Collins. I can feel it coming in the air tonight. <laughs> ah, shit. Here's your motorcycle lag so, because that was a jump. Yeah. <laughs> so... The reason why I put this in this specific order is, with the exception of Ichikawa, from bottom to top is the order of how they die during this fucking arc. Or die, quote-unquote. Um, first you have the mayor, then you have the detective, mm -hmm. then the milk boy, then the widow, the waitress, the driver, and then you have the journalist. But at the end of this entire arc, only... Three people are actually dead. The rest of them are are alive. So, how do we? Who wants to start talking about these performances? Uh, so, in any of the our it, research of how they dub stuff from the studio, uh, do they use the same uh, prelay practice of recording individual actors as opposed to having them record in a group setting? That I do not know. Because if I didn't know any better, uh, I would say that the the bounce back and forth off of each other that these characters have in this cart here, I'm sure that they recorded them individually, but it's mixed well enough mm -hmm. and uh, the reactions are well enough that it does sound like they're actually in one room together. Um, I, I, a lot I, I actually will give... Well, I should have done this back at the... Uh, um, uh, like, director's stage, but I actually listened to a bunch of this show on headphones. It is very well mixed. Like oh, this yeah. dub is like they yeah like there like are... the audio is actually really good. Even just like, like, for... even just like there would be bits where like someone would be talking in a scene and then there would be a camera change to another part of the room and they would actually bother to shift where the voice was coming from in relation to like where it moved. Like yeah, a lot of, a like, lot of attention what I was put into this. What I assume was probably not a very like well like what's the word I'm looking for? Well funded dub. Mm -hmm. It actually is very well mixed, like very well audio edited. Well, I'm a, so yeah. you could probably assume that if the uh, the original Japanese producers were involved in this, because the Japanese uh, organization that Amon mentioned earlier was responsible for this dub, that they probably had a hand in making sure that the crew got good, clean uh, M&E tracks, so that they could make sure that the added audio was nice and sounded good with the original audio. And to Amon's right. point as well, have that nice mix where uh, if a character is further away from the camera, they're they're still talking, but they're softer sounding. It's like they're further away from a microphone, and the ones closer to the screen sound louder. And you can hear that here as well, where everyone's kind of like cloistered in this uh, train cart, 
all together bouncing back and forth blaming one another talking about oh i wasn't actually here at this time or i've never encountered you before i've delivered your milk like that bounce back and forth is what i feel makes this arc as we gradually and slowly really find out what happened to this lady so i don't have one particular actor to uh, point to and say like good job i'm just pointing all six of my fingers at all the actors and saying all of them did a good job yeah it's a very well balanced balanced ensemble piece and like i I like how noah you brought up the question of like where they record individually or like as a group because this gives me full on the full-on vibe that i get is radio show like a style of a radio like a show like a drama drama made for radio mm-hmm. um in terms of like the different voices and how that like progresses it's very interesting um again michael plazuto is a goddamn wizard <laughs> just saying cuz he voices both moria and the journalist and kinoshita the driver in this story <laughs> yeah i never would have guessed that they were voiced by the same guy and then you also go back to our fishmonger and our dead guy <laughs> from the previous story. His job is dead. You also... He, his job is dead. You go back to in Umibozu. I believe he's the sam... No, he's not the samurai there. Uh, he is our assistant at the inn in the first story. Like, bro, this dude got rage. <laughs> it's <laughs> unbelievable! It's unbelievable! Um, like, the, so distinct each single performance, so I have to give him kudos for those in particular. Um, so, what else? What are our other thoughts on some of these? Because it, it is going to be difficult, obviously, about talking about the characters that we don't have credits for. Um, obviously. Uh, but I would still think... I, I liked Ichikawa. Oh, I yeah, liked Setsuko Ichikawa. Especially after she is dead and is a vengeful, vengeful bitch. <laughs> and wants to kill everything. Because <laughs> it's... Because she's just like... The Baki Neko just essentially like uses her as a form and uses like her last thoughts as she dies. As a... As a... As, a, um, as the fuel to like go on this revenge story. Uh, and so whoever voices Setsuko Ichikawa, like, holy mother of god. <laughs> because the last episode of the whole show, you finally get to hear the whole story primarily through her. As to what she's found out, what got her killed. Because uh, she... Surprise, guys! She didn't commit suicide! Yeah. She was killed. Um, because she knew... T- she She was killed because she knew too much. Uh, <laughs> they had to kill. So they, they made it look like an accident by putting her shoes together. Yeah, yes, way too neat though. Um, but I was very impressed by. Even though that's whoever... not really how they solved the mystery, but you know. <laughs> no, yeah, that's not how they solved the fucking mystery. Um, but no, it was very like her performance and just hearing her for that course of that whole episode, because you didn't hear her at any po- other point in time, except in the final episode. Like that was a journey and a half. <laughs> like, I was I was impressed by her and whoever whoever voices this character. Honestly, like I I think this is a pretty strong cast, but I also think like Michael and Ichikawa's actress are the real standouts as far as what drives this forward. Yes, 
Um, mm. I mean, I, I, everyone else I think is very strong. Like they're good at they're, they're good at panicking. <laughs> it is. I I'm also saying we don't know who plays um, uh, Kobayashi, but he especially when he's just kind of like freaking out in the train, he's very entertaining. I like him a lot. It took me a yeah, while to it... register that that was a child, but uh... yeah. I mean, they said that oh, I graduated from elementary school and now I deliver milk. Like that's the only indication we got that there's still supposed to be a child. Right. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I got it. I was just like the character design didn't really like say child to oh, me. Oh, the design. Yeah, the character. The character design. Yeah. <laughs> character design's a little bit like. Are you really a kid? Yeah. No, yeah. no one's particularly good looking in the show, to be honest. No, not really. I guess besides the medicine seller, but that that is a cosplay wet dream right there. I'm definitely dressing yeah. up as that for Halloween. <laughs> oh, let's go. <laughs> Noah's gonna get all the bitches. <laughs> uh, Noah doesn't, doesn't get any bitches in the show. No, that's true, he doesn't. He doesn't. He could care less. He, get, <laughs> he kills Zeller bitches. Care less. That's he does. <laughs> he kills bitches. He doesn't get bitches. He kills them. <laughs> I'm a gamer. I don't get bitches. I kill bitches. Yeah, the, the, this whole yeah, this whole group like like you were saying, uh, definitely a fun meaty performance for everyone, and getting to uh, just either freak out over uh, trying to figure out if this woman actually killed herself or figuring out how they're all connected. Um, and I can see why they made this the last segment. Um, it definitely makes mm-hmm. sense to. I was gonna say set it in modern time. It's not modern time, but still more in closer to our modern day where they don't even have medicine men anymore. They have sandwich men. Yeah, the medicine seller is referred to as the sandwich man. Yeah, that confused me. I thought, like, he was just pretending to be a sandwich man or something. But oh, I, 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 guess I, I, I mean, I think the joke is, like, his his profession is now so out of date that they just sort of assign meaning to him because they don't know what he's supposed to be. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah, I think... I guess that... Yeah, because doctors exist and stuff now, so, like... <laughs> Which kind of begs the question of, because now that the supposed context here with this story in particular is that the characters of Baki Neko could are implied as reincarnations of their corresponding characters from the Ayakashi version of Baki Neko. What does that make the medicine seller? I think he's just immortal. Yeah, I, I assumed he was just some kind of like. I, I, I must, by, by the time you get to this point, I assume like he 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 is something of a supernatural being himself. I have figured he was a kind of elf thing. That's why he had pointed ears. That's but... true. Yeah, You're that's right. That, You're right. That, I mean, aside from the fact the show is not super into like hard concrete answers necessarily, uh, I mean, I, I think we could assume he's probably not supposed to be a normal person. Did they explain yeah. who the other version is at all? Not really. Okay, because I wasn't the, sure if I just like missed that. If that's supposed to be him, or it's like a different being altogether, or something. So I won't lie. Again, it's been a hot minute since I watched Ayakashi. I don't recall if it's explained in that in in the Bakinaka story there, and the fact that it's it's one of those situations where it's like, oh, it's explained here. Here you go. You don't need that explanation again. I don't remember if it's one of those situations or if it's just. The the sword I, I I would like to think it's like the blade of salvation. I would like to think maybe could be. I'm just speculating. A Mononoke itself. Yeah. Lack. You know your your old school anime, right? Sure. Think of him as like the 
the character of Tenchi Muyo over and over again. You know how, like, that series has had, like, a hundred different reincarnations, and you're not entirely sure if they're all supposed to be the same character, but, like, eh, whatever. Whatever allows a new spin-off to exist. I mean, I get that. It's just, I don't understand. Tenchi never turned into, like, a dark-skinned version of himself or anything like that. Not so. yet. Not yet. That's coming. Not I'm yet. Sure that's coming. Oh, Jesus. I mean, oh, th there have been a few new Tenchis that have come out in the past couple of years, which is shocking to say, but yes. Yeah, I, I think that's my theory, is the Blade of Salvation is a Mononoke in and of itself. Because um, a Mononoke... Maybe it's one of those things where it's like only a Mononoke can beat another... Like, exercise another Mononoke. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's one of those situations. Which, which means, like, the Blade of Salvation, the Mononoke, and that kind of, like, takes on um the medicine seller's form essentially right. that's speculation that's just my theory I, either um, way we will have more versions of this character in more medium which means more dubbed performances from other actors i'm sure yeah um even though officially g kids doesn't have the movie i'm sure it will at some point so yeah my my bad when andrew came over here and was like they don't there's no it's not licensed I completely forgot that Andrew thinks that G-Kids would be the most likely ones to pick that up right. for a licensing. And that makes the most sense. Um, yeah, Regal but... Entertainment presents, you know, whatever. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Seeing that movie be licensed and on the big screen, oh my god. I mean, if G-Kids does it, they will, so, you know. Oh my god, that'd be amazing. And it can run as a double feature with Yellow Submarine. <laughs> Bring your ecstasy! No, um... Oh, God. That, that's, a, that's a hell of a night. God damn. Yeah. <laughs> this is overall just a pretty solid dub, this this entry here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, I genuinely think, as far as it's concerned, I think this could stand with plenty of other more high-budget, high, high, um, you know, high, uh, uh, no, high notoriety profile. dubs. Yeah, high-profile mm -hmm. dubs. I mean, I don't think it's... It didn't blow me away or anything like that. It wasn't like, oh my god, these performances are amazing. But I think it's a perfectly serviceable, like, step up for, for the this crew in particular. I, I, I think if, if like, the trend continues where we have Umibozu, who, where it's just starting to get a grasp of what it's doing. You have Nue that's finding its footing. Baki Neko, I think, for what this show does in the dub here is what sticks the landing for the show, mm, yeah. is what it's sounding like. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like like I said, like this show definitely improved on its dub as it kept yeah. going, so... Mm -hmm. Like, each of the stories, I think, kept getting stronger and stronger dub-wise. And it, it's really um, funny when you think about that, too, because I'm sure none of these actors really thought this was going to get seen all that much. So... Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Again... Some of these folks, like, either had no voiceover credits or, like, one. Yeah. <laughs> so, I would be heartbroken um, if they got commissioned to do more, like, niche dubs like this where the studio's like, okay, we don't think this is going to sell as many units as My Hero Academia mm -hmm. Season 9, but we do think there's an audience <laughs> for it, so let's throw in a couple of bucks to get it dubbed and let's get that, that fancy Hong Kong team to do it again. Yeah. They can play five characters apiece, right? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, Amon, what are your thoughts on these? Uh, I already, I already told story. you. I thought it was good. <laughs> I went at the beginning. Oh, my bad. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to get to I'm the medicine cellar. Get to the fireworks oh, factory. That's fair. To the fireworks factory, exactly. Yeah. Fireworks factory. Okay. 
Let's talk about our medicine seller, boys and girls. The medicine seller, the man, the myth, the legend himself. He is the one that goes around to find these Mononoke or Ayakashi and exercises them using the Blade of Salvation. But again, in order to do so, he must, in order to unsheath the Sword of Salvation, he must first know the shape of the Mononoke, the truth, and the reason. He is the Columbo of the spirit world. (laughs) Pretty much. Here's where things get interesting. Uh, more so than anything else. There's actually, based on the credits from the Blu-ray set, there are actually two people who voice this character. There is one person who voices him just for the Zashiki Warashi arc, and then another who voices this character for the remainder of the show. Okay? Now, as the medicine seller for the first two episodes, as well as the show's narrator, we have Victor Lee. Okay? As for the medicine seller for episodes 3 through 12, there's a reason why we have not mentioned credits for this individual this entire time. It is actually Michael C. Pizzuto. Hey everyone, present day Steph here. We have to issue a minor correction on the casting of Mononoke. In the process of editing the episode, it was discovered that Michael Pizzuto was not the medicine seller for episodes 3 through 12, but it was actually Victor Lee for the entirety of the series. Unfortunately, the Blu-ray credits that were used to create the cast list were incorrect in that regard, and we were unable to verify the information prior to recording the episode. In this segment, we do talk about the medicine seller, as if it were Michael Pizzuto for the majority of the series, so please keep that in mind as you continue the episode. We apologize for the mix-up. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Michael Pizzuto has voiced characters such as Lad Russo in the Animax dub of Bacchino. Get the fuck out. It's really? I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Uh, he's also Inspector Oniyama in Mysterious Joker, and more recently, he's Badger in Vinland Saga 2, the Netflix version. And this so he, is... So he does California dubs, too. He moved to California. He moved to California at some point and has been doing some California stuff. Well, good for him. Years. That's yes. way to go. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's great. And well-deserved so, yes. on this performance. Yep. So I'm going to say this. Remember when at the start of this, when we were talking about how Discotech got the credits for this show? This is Stephanie just speculating. I think it's very possible that it might have been Michael Pizzuto. Okay. That might have said, who might have talked about those credits. Speculation. Who, who knows? He I may end up getting wrong. recast for the movie as the medicine seller then. It is humanly possible. Yeah. It is humanly possible, however, that would mean, however, I think for the sake of, because there's a different seiyu for the film in Japan. Okay. Sure, but. Um, well, yeah, but that's because that's because the old guy got fired due to a scandal. That's not a conscious effort. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, but no, but like, I think it'd be interesting to, ha- to see someone else do a take on it, but uh... I will say this. One... I couldn't, I did not, I had no clue that there was actually two people who voiced this character. I was under the assumption that it was Victor Lee this entire time because my original list 
cast list that I had was just from ANN. And then I got to the end credits at the end of the fucking set. And I saw that it was Michael Pizzuto for the majority of the show. Yeah, I had no idea that it was two different voices. Yeah. So first of all, making that seamless and fooling everybody, kudos to both Victor and Michael, first of all. Second of all, I actually, I definitely prefer Michael Pizzuto's take on The Medicine Seller a lot more. Because as the show progresses, a lot of it is, a lot of the character is more of this quiet, sometimes breathy, lighter than air kind of voice to him. But there are moments and pieces where he can get a more of a darker tone to him. And it can grow as the, as these stories unfold. And then you have the moments when he unsheaths the Blade of Salvation and the tone can change. I really liked what Michael Pizzuto did with this role, and I'm honestly, like, very impressed. It, it, it was one of those things where it progressively got improved a lot through the, of the course of the show with, with these different stories. And, like, I, I just fell in love with this performance, like, <laughs> as time went on, and I was just so impressed. Though, while I say it would be fun to see someone else if the new movie were to get dubbed take this role on i'm also interested to see that if michael pizzuto were to get cast again as the medicine seller what kind of a performance that would be right Hmm. now that it's been a few years since he's portrayed this character and like how like under a different direction under completely different writing like what kind of performance that would be an alternative performance that so, i can imagine just based on the character design is perhaps a more fey and uh maybe lgbt tint tainted or tinted performance because the design of the character is definitely one that would lend itself to someone on that spectrum whereas the performance that michael gives him is uh more of a, a calm cool and collected individual uh when he's yes. not going all paper bender on the scenes yeah paper bender god damn it there's one element that wasn't included in avatar the paper bender jesus Christ. but <coughs> but this was a yeah this was the the part that needed to be the best um and it needed to be different from every other character i think we can yes. all agree that his performance of the medicine man is different from everyone else in the kind of demonic way that he speaks his words. He remains, uh, mm-hmm. he keeps that uh, tenor throughout the entire show, and it never uh, gives off a sense of humanness because you don't get the sense that this person lives in humanity. Even in the very first episode, when you think that mm-hmm. he's having trouble getting into the hotel because he's like, he's oh, he's a broke, poor ass peddler person. Uh, but no, he he's like, I, I I'm. Uh, this this cool guy who's not uh, not too bothered by anything. I sell medicine. Mm. That is how I make my living. Do you want some of this? I got some yep. good stuff. First thoughts free. Yeah. <laughs> hey kids, you want to buy some drugs? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> God damn it. Hey kids, you want to buy some sandwiches? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I. I'm going to agree with what all four of you were going to say, even though Amon and Lack haven't even spoken yet, as this is a pretty good performance, and uh, it, it's well worth watching just for this performance mm-hmm. alone. 
Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And also, apparently, Andrew Francis voiced him in uh, Ayakashi. So yes. that's interesting. So, yeah, it was Andrew Francis who played the medicine seller during the initial Bakinaka. That's arc. how I could tell it was Canadian. Um, yep. So, again, hence why my brain is like, it'd be interesting to see someone else play him in the movie. But now that I've watched the show and seen this dub for the first time, I'm like, It'd be interesting to see Michael Pizzuto do a new take on this character for this movie. <laughs> I just think it's really cool because he moved to California that he's right. doing California dubs. I'm it, like, oh, he has a chance to try again for the character. That's really cool. Right, because so. it, it makes it feasibly possible for him to do this again. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Um. So, yeah, I'll go again. Yeah, he he's a, it's a strong performance. I, I'm going to focus mostly on uh, Michael Pizzuto's performance because we get him we get him for the majority compared to victor lee yeah so i don't blame you and to reiterate what i said before i had no idea that it was two different actors honestly yeah me neither um, granted like, granted the medicine seller doesn't speak all that much so maybe that had something to do with it too but even still i mean there was no point where i was like huh he sounds different so you know it's mm -hmm. uh but that being said uh it's it's good it's a good performance that um i think holds the series together in a way that if it was really weird and goofy and even though this series is kind of weird and goofy but um if it just felt wrong i think the whole dub would have completely fallen apart so I, I I think it's a i think it's a good try and the good thing about a character like this is you don't the medicine seller isn't a huge range of emotions as a character, mm -hmm. but I did find it interesting that there were moments where even the medicine seller f was on the back foot. It felt like where even the medicine seller wasn't entirely sure what was going on because you could hear like him going, "What?" or you know, "What's that?" or, or kind of moments like that. Yeah, but it's 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 genuinely pr pretty interesting. Overall, it's a it's a pretty strong performance, at least enough to to keep this whole dub afloat. And it's never easy when you're playing a main character in a show where very little is about you. Yeah. So, so it, it it it's always kind of funny when you get cast as a main character and then you're in a show where you are almost entirely ineffectual to the actual plot. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, there there are other shows who have had similar instances of like those kinds of characters. I know we the, joked in the beginning, but Mushishi is one of them. Yeah, uh, the Laughing Man is another example, even though that never got mm -hmm. a dub. Um, but yeah, it's overall it's it's a it's a good performance. It's it's not amazing or anything, but it's good for what it is. So okay. I'm just glad. And I do like that he tried to add some inflection of like mysterious ghost like behavior to the whole thing. So, yeah. I'm so glad you referenced The Laughing Man because I don't hear anyone else talk about that show ever. I've watched a few episodes of The Laughing Man. It's it's interesting, even though the main character isn't trying to teach anyone anything. He's just kind of a dick. Yeah, it's so. a, it reminds me a lot more of like like anthology series like Hell Girl, where it's like I don't think there's really a moral Ooh. in this necessarily. Yeah. Oh God, doing a dub talk on Hell Girl would be a nightmare. <laughs> Mostly because it's, the same, that would be a, cause it's uh, mm. that same episode 26 times. Pretty much. Yeah. That would be the uh, Junji Ito collection method right there. Yeah. <laughs> Goddamn. Uh, Amon, I don't think you've shared many thoughts 
Oh, no, I'm thinking of Hells. Sorry, never mind. Keep, keep going. Yes, I was waiting for you to stop talking. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, Michael's the reason to listen to this dub. He's great. Um, I'm, ac- yeah. I'm actually wondering what the deal with episodes one and two is, because the way he's credited suggests he's in all the episodes, and I, I am curious to know if... Is he in one or two? Yeah, is this like Victor Lee did some punch-ins when he was unavailable? Like, I so, questions so I don't think we're going to the... find answers to, basically. The thing is, Michael Pizzuto is in the first two episodes. Um, he's uh, Tokuji. Yes, but he's no, the, uh, is, is he? Is this an instance where like he was? He was also as I listened to a couple of the episodes, like like today, basically a little bit of episode mm-hmm. one, and like the performance doesn't sound dramatically different from what Michael's doing. And I don't know if that's a sign that um, Victor was initially doing it, and then Michael got recast as the character and just continued kind of the same type of performance, or was like Victor just doing like like little bits and bobs they hadn't gotten a chance to record with michael and it's just easier for him you know it's like something minor basically like he is voicing the character but in a much more minor way not consistently throughout that kind of thing um yeah again questions considering mm-hmm. the, i bet that's going to be no, yeah, the kind it's... of thing that he would re- be able to reveal in like a con panel that we will not be able to see footage of yeah. like five years from now yeah, exactly no that's that would be a very interesting question to ask like how like what the methodology or the reasoning was behind it but yeah. anyway no he's, i mean he's really good like he he's the thing holding the show together he's the reason to, he's the reason to watch it with the dub like he's great yeah yeah he, he's able to carry it that's for mm-hmm. sure like it takes a little bit to get there but he definitely i feel like he by the time i would say probably by the time we get to Towards the end of Umibozu, probably, is when we start, like, really seeing that. Like, and him being able to, like, really carry it. I do think that um, his line when he's asked by the Biwa fish about what you fear is, he has some delivery about um, discovering that there is no world beyond this and that, that it's some kind of existential fear. And the delivery mm-hmm. that he gives him on that line read is probably the part where... Um, if it's not, if you have not bought into his performance by that point, it's just never going to work for you. Yeah, hundred percent. Any more thoughts on our uh, duo of medicine sellers, but primi- primarily our one medicine seller? <laughs> I think else? I'm good. I-, I just want whatever he's selling. <laughs> hey kids, paper, mostly paper. I, I, yes, I do. Pa- paper and scales. Yeah. That's it. Paper and scales. The sword is not for sale. <laughs> anyway, okay. On that note, let's move on to our final thoughts on the English dub of Mononoke. Who would like to go first? So this is a uh, fitting Halloween episode. Um, it's fittingly creepy, um, and not just the dub, but the actual episodes themselves. Um, yeah, we would not be able to talk about this on the podcast if there wasn't a dub for it. And honestly, if you were not told going into this that this had a different pedigree than the American dub scene that you're used to, I don't think most people will notice. Um, like, I give credit to these actors. They are... To put stab a hole in what Andrew said earlier that none of you heard on the microphone... Uh, this is not made up of a cast of people who English is not their first language. This absolutely is their first language. And they feed into the characters well. There is a good range in all of the actors. Honestly, it just kind of adds to the creep factor that there. this is a bunch of voices that you've probably never heard before. Or at least not in something that was not pegged as kind of low quality to begin with. So, I honestly say, give this a watch, uh, 
Stephanie will show you where you can listen to it at the end of this episode. Absolutely give it a listen to in this spooky season. <laughs> Next. This dub's pretty good. I would, I'd, I'd recommend it. Like, I think, I think it's, like, really solidly put together. I think it's a good match for the show. Like, like I recommend it. Like, this is pretty good. Uh, like, if nothing else, it makes me wonder if maybe the reputation a lot of these, like, Southeast Asia-produced dubs have is kind of one of these things where, like, well, that was really true, like, ten years ago, but not so much now sort of a deal. Um, like, I, I, am, yeah. I am now curious to see, can you track down, like, the Inamizuma 11 dub or the Gundam Builders dub somewhere out there and like how do those compare that kind of thing give yeah. us the fairy tale dub give us the fairy tale because <laughs> god knows we don't have sergeant enough fairy tale frog. content sergeant frog hey they probably did more sergeant frog than we did over here in the states so you know. oh it's probably true <laughs> but i don't think i it's probably, probably wasn't as gag dub heavy as it was in the american side hey we don't know that I'm will- we don't know that at I- I'm all. Hey, huh? Singapore people are allowed to have a sense of humor. <laughs> yes, but they're probably not throwing in random references to... Well, you know, it's been too long since I've seen Sergeant Frog. What what outdated pop culture references do they have in that dub? It, it came out around, like, oh, the first God. time of the Batman Begins, so there's, like, a couple of jokes in there that I remember watching a few years later. It's like, oh, this is very dated. I can tell what year this is. This is like, oh, this, this was made in 2005. Time. Gotcha. <laughs> It's been a long time since I've seen Sergeant Frog. So you, th- you thought the disco afro was going to be the most dated part of that show. Nope. Random Harry Potter references. Nope. Nope. Anyway, uh, Lack, your final thought. Yeah, um, it's really cool to see stuff like this sometimes because of the fact that we don't get it very often because dubbing still to this day in the year of our Lord 2023 is still kind of a niche thing. So... The fact that, and it really only usually comes from three sources at most, so the fact that Discotech was able to find this at all and actually, like, legitimately get it, like, on shelves to a U.S. audience is really cool. And despite the fact that there are some hiccups to this dub, I think it still has value in the fact that it exists. Like, by its own merit, that it exists as a thing. And that some company in Hong Kong decided, hey, let's take a chance and try to dub this really fucking weird anime and see what happens. Like, and I think that's, that's admirable. And for all the shortcomings this dub has, which isn't a lot, but it's a few, I think overall it works for what it is. And I, I think that... You know, I think these people deserve to, you know, try other stuff, too, if they want. So, yeah. So what you're saying is we should... And I I also kind of like the fact that we don't know everybody who voiced in this, because that adds a layer of, like, mythology to this whole thing. So. Yeah. That's true. It's it's a very, very interesting. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I'm going to have to largely agree. The fact that this dub even exists is amazing to me because again i first watched this show at least over 10 years ago and it was in the japanese and i really enjoyed it because i do like my spooky supernatural stories and things like that and i was already excited as is that it was getting license rescued the fact that there was a never before seen dub on top of that (laughs) 
was just the icing and cherry on the cake for me. It sounds like Discotheque was as amazed as everyone else was. That oh, yeah. The... I, it sounds like they were. <laughs> um, the fact that this exists, like, nobody knew about it. Um, see, see, what they did is they so, they saw the hype bar they set after they found the long-lost dub to 1001 Nights, and they're like, well, we're never going to be able to top this. Or can we? Surprise, bitch. <laughs> Surprise, bitch. But, um, no, I would say for what this show is, and, uh, again, supposedly the timing of when this show was, the dub was produced, I think it's a serviceable good like fine dub for what for what it is um there are gonna be people who won't like it unfortunately <laughs> and it makes me sad because i do like this show um, but at the end of the day it fits the tone of the show it fits the presentation of the show and i went into this with rather low expectations of the dub, again, because of what I know of about Southeast Asian dubs and how they are produced and how they normally don't sound the greatest. My <sighs> expectations, while they were very low, were blown away. So this is a good serviceable dub for this show. I, I enjoyed it. It was a pleasant surprise. Um, and I think that y'all should go freaking see this show regardless um and i also hope that we do get a license for that film here stateside and i i hope that michael pizzuta gets the chance to return to the medicine Silla character i will say that uh now in terms of where you can find this lovely little show uh, currently, there are at least two streaming platforms. Yeah, it's surprisingly easy. <laughs> it's surprisingly easy. So, at time of this recording, it is the Japanese and the English dub for Mononoke. It is streaming on Crunchyroll. That actually just got added in the past week at the time of this recording, ironically enough. It is also streaming on Netflix. It actually was streaming on Netflix, I believe, before the Blu-ray version came out. That's true. Weirdly enough. Uh, it is also available to own on Blu-ray through your usual uh, anime sources minus one, which makes me very sad. Um, <clears throat> Let me yeah. go get the bagpipes. We won't talk. <laughs> <laughs> of all the souls I've ever encountered on my trip. <sighs> we'll miss you, right, stuff. Like, a lot. Like, for realsies. We anyway. really will. We really will. We love right stuff so much. I'm sad. Fuck corporate hierarchy. Uh, capitalism. Anyway, but those are primarily the three ways you can watch it. Crunchyroll, Netflix, or buying the physical Blu-ray version of the show. Now, for anything that we here are stupid morons do, uh, this is the Dub Talk Podcast. Again, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, if you are listening to the episode currently on either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Podbean, please, please, please either subscribe or follow us. Um, we do new episodes every couple of weeks, um, and you get some fun little gems and stories and stupidity on a frequent basis. Um in terms of social medias and where you can also follow us, we are on... I am never calling it by its new name. We're on Twitter. No one is. We, no. Yeah. It, we're on Twitter, 
Instagram, Twitch, um, Tumblr's dead. We are on Blue Sky. Yay. We are on Blue Sky. Um, on all those platforms, we are simply Dub Talk Podcast. Uh, we, if you want to support us in a different way, we do have a Kofi account for one-time donations, and we also have a Patreon um, where you can help us produce fun little episodes like this. And you can get shoutouts like our wonderful patrons in our five and ten dollar tier, such as Megan's mom and dad, Michelle Travis, uh, Anthony Brown, Carly Lestakel, Kimwa Soup, Marissa Lenti, and Otaku Anthony. Thank you guys very much, as per usual, for the continued support. Thank you guys. Um, mm-hmm. Thank as you. for the four of us and what we freaking do. Uh, my name is Stephanie, sometimes also known as Lilac. You can follow me on Twitter and Blue Sky uh, at Lilac Anime Review, with review being spelled R-U-V-U-E. Uh, I have been streaming on the Dub Talk Twitch, again, finally kicking that back on, um, where I've been doing solo streaming with Pokemon Violet, and at the time of this recording, Andrew and I together have been streaming uh, the Telltale Batman series. We are almost done, and then I believe the plan still, in theory... Um, the next game is playing Project Raincoat. Uh, as for Noah, you can follow him on Twitter, and I believe you also have a blue sky, uh, at, at Noah Clue. Uh, he also has a YouTube channel, Journey Traveler, where he does vast videos of the vast world of animation, and it's massive medium no, and no, stuff. No, 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 Stephanie, you are not. You are underselling it. You are underselling the wide world out there because it's not just a world of mm-hmm. happiness and a world of tears. It's a world of Russian animation, Hungarian animation. Ireland has art cartoons nowadays. Every mm-hmm. country around the world you can think of. There's indie animators, little people out of their garage who are making stick figure animation. Let me tell you, if you people out there can move a pencil in your hand. Go out there and make cartoons. The world will be better for it. Peace. Uh, as for Lack, you can follow him on various social media platforms, primarily as Lack the Watcher. I believe you have a Twitter, a TikTok, uh, and I think from what I'm understanding, you also stream on both the YouTube and Twitch, correct? I mostly stream on YouTube now because I just am doing better, like, views wise like i just hit 15,000 subscribers on youtube so nice yeah you can mostly just find me making silly anime shit posts basically where i voice act usually berserk stuff cuz that does the best people seem to really like my berserk parody stuff so that's what you can find me and also i am a vtuber so yeah the the incubus the incubus space pirate yes i'm a big fan of 80s anime so i put all that together and basically created this monstrosity of a space pirate incubus so <laughs> i'm actually getting a redesign soon which is pretty cool Yay! Uh, and i'm getting some artists to work on that which is pretty awesome and i can't wait to see what they come up with so awesome and finally, as for Amon, you can follow him on Twitter and Blue Sky at AmonDuelUS. Uh, that's two U's in AmonDuel. Uh, and, as per tradition, my good man, do you have a dusty old song for us today? You bet I do. Um, so I'm going to take a minute to talk about the opening song, because I was a little stumped until I thought, wait, this opening's really cool. What's this about? Uh, it's by two guys, uh, Ryoto Komatsu and Charlie Kosei. Um, 
Charlie hasn't done a lot lately, but he's got some anime credentials. He did some songs for the Green Jacket Lupin series. He's apparently the guy singing the OP Ooh, to whoa. Thousand and One Nights to bring that up again. That's a long time um, ago. I know, but I'm mostly I'm gonna uh, Ryoto Kamatsu is the guy who actually wrote that song, and he is also the guy who plays uh, the bandoneon on it, which is the accordion type thing you hear. A bandoneon's kind of a oh yeah, it's like a concertina, which is that sort of octagon accordion thing you see like pirates play in pirate movies. Uh, yes. it's, it was made in Germany, and it's mostly popular in Argentina and Uruguay because it had become one of the primarily used instruments in tango music, which is why the OP sounds like that. Uh, I don't know a lot about that particular genre, but I can give one recommendation. I looked up some of the more notable players, and one of the guys who considered one of the best of the best is a guy named um, Astor Piazzolla. I think he's passed away already, but uh, he made some very interesting music for that. I would recommend... Uh, he did a little suite uh, called Tangata. And the first movement of that, which is called Fugata, is a very, like, it, it starts with the bandolero and it's uh, bandion, and it's him playing with, like, his quintet, and it's just a fascinating piece of music. And I also know he did an hour, a, a song called, a, a, sorry, an album in the 80s called Tango Zero Hour, which he considers, like, the best thing he ever did. So I'd say go check out both of those. They both sound pretty cool. Awesome. And with that, our spooky tales have finished. Um, unfortunately, boys, since I now know, you know, the shape, the truth, and the reason, I kind of have to unsheath my blade of salvation and exercise you all. I hate to say it. You are the only person um, on this call who is allowed to say that they're about to unsheath anything and it not sound like <laughs> I know. I was going to say. Like... <laughs> I didn't even think of that when I saw them. Oh, boy. Oh no! We're Good night, everybody. All right, we're, we're sticking with that one, guys. Uh, but thank you, guys, for joining me on this wonderful Halloween episode. I hope you have a fun, fantastic, spooky season. And until next time, Otaku on my friends. Good night, everybody. Aloha. Rock over Boston. Rock on Chicago.